Hello. Hello. How are you? Oh, I'm so full of food and very sleepy. Oh, so it's like every show. That yeah, I- most. I mean, kind of. I ate a little closer to uh, showtime today. Oh. Just it was, you know, it was a busy day. I was reorganizing my papers, my business papers, because I was uh, I was off site. For a couple of days and everything was a mess when I got back so I, I was doing that and then and I almost ran out of time so I shoved a bunch of food down my throat now I'm here I'm gonna try to stay awake I, I appreciate your dedication to this podcast mm-hmm. I have a cold water people say drink a cold water when you're when you're tired because it'll perk you up or something I, I'm not sure if that's true or not but I've heard that eh, you know people say things I think that was one of those, like, infographics of life hacks or something on the internet I saw somewhere. Yeah, I mean, I haven't seen that particular thing, but there's a lot of things that involve cold stuff. Uh, you know, drive with your window down so that you get the cold breeze on your face, all that kind of stuff, uh, when you should really just pull over and <laughs> not drive if you're that <laughs> tired, because uh, that's how you have car accidents. Yeah, I did. I've done that one time. Uh, had, had a car in- accident? No, I was I, I was at a I was at a house party in Flagstaff or something. I think this was this was after high school. This was college or something. Uh, and I just it was like there was like thirty people, and they're like, "All right, we can all just sleep on the floor in this really old dank apartment or whatever this house was." I'm like, "I'm not gonna do that. It's four in the morning, but I'm gonna go home now." So I just opened like all of my windows and turned on a system of a down CD like really loud. And drove home from Flagstaff at like four in the morning. What, was it was it the the one with the push it or whatever on it? The, uh it's it's the it's the one it's the one that that uh yeah. with with all of the the songs that people know i can't remember what it was called i don't remember either um I, I just remember how popular that one particular one was uh at the time um it was the it was definitely a thing that you could listen to if you mm-hmm. there was a song called toxicity did. was that also the name of the album sure sure yeah i'm gonna say definitively yes yeah without a doubt those guys had some good uh, good facial hair in that band. Uh, I'm not sure you're using the word good correctly, but uh, they, they had facial hair. That that checks out. There was a lot of it. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. But uh, other than that, uh, mm-hmm. one of one of the one of the good things about this 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 week this tumultuous week for you um, uh, was that I had <laughs> I had a window where I could go watch uh, a three hour movie, so I did. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you warned me that it was very long, which I, I hadn't researched. Uh, so I, I intentionally deprived myself of liquids uh, for most of the day, and then I made it all the way through the movie without having to go pee. Yeah, uh, watching this movie. Uh, it takes about the 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 flight time of going from uh, LAX to to SeaTac Airport. Uh, it's it's not short. It's two hours and forty four minutes, uh, and then you got your buffer time of getting to the theater and getting out of the theater, etc. Don't forget, don't forget all the uh, the previews and stuff. I was at the ArcLight, so there were just a couple trailers. Oh God, there were like seven trailers before ours. No, uh, we had we had a couple, uh, but it was all really grim stuff. It was like Jigsaw, and it's like uh, that's not <laughs> happening. <laughs> Um, but, uh, they, they had, uh, uh, they of course validate, uh, for the parking garage that's there, uh, near the movie theater. And, uh, I still had to pay a dollar because they only validate for three hours and there's just no way you're going to get in and out of there uh, in that amount of time. Mm. <sighs> Fun stuff. Fun in a way, stuff. this movie is about, uh, ha- having your, your, yourself validated. Yes, it is. <laughs> in a way, Blade Runner 2049 is just a giant parking garage. 
Yeah, well, it's it's a way of having yourself validated and then still owing money. Um, but uh, <laughs> the, uh, uh, for anyone who might be listening right now uh, who has not seen the movie, I strongly, strongly urge you to go watch the movie first because there's stuff that will unfold in the movie that might go in directions that you might not otherwise anticipate unless you heard two knuckleheads talk about it on a podcast for a while. So uh, go do that. I don't usually send people away with with spoiler warnings but uh i i feel i feel this is certainly a case where i want to because uh, i liked it enough that i i feel you would be deprived depriving yourself of something if you uh went in knowing every little detail that's going to happen yeah it's a good movie uh unless you saw the first blade runner and you absolutely hated it uh then yes if you hated the first blade runner you can keep listening now but if, if you enjoyed the first blade runner at all uh you should you should go see this one because this one's good this one uh is better than the uh, first wait, I, one i got a question yeah the way you qualified that mm-hmm. i i know from the the two weeks ago when we talked about blade runner that you hated the original one i i did not use the word hate i had okay. issues with its storytelling oh, okay so you're you you weren't you weren't like trying to put a little loophole in there for you no, what I what I'm saying is last week uh, or whatever two weeks ago, uh, my my main complaint about Blade Runner was they were they were too they were too subtle, too dodgy with their their details, and they they ruined the story by trying to be all subtle, and it was just it was a non-existent story. And this movie does the same sort of things in the same world in in a slightly uh, more complex story, but it, it explains just enough. To help you actually pay attention and continue down the path, following along with the story, uh, but doesn't over-explain things where it it very easily could have, and, and it's also very pretty and fun, and there's good music and stuff too. So this movie uh, is a better version of the first movie. <sighs> I uh, am, am, is that is that is that not accurate by your assessment? I mean, better is so subjective because. I I don't more think successful th- version of the first movie is that is that more accurate? A more fleshed out version because this this movie also has the benefit of being able to build off of the first one. Um, I'm not sure I would like this movie in isolation uh, of having never seen or heard of the, See, the prior and, film. And uh, my my special lady friend wife who uh, watches movies on the couch next to me by staring at her phone for two hours. Uh, Hi, Amanda. I love you. If you're listening to this, um, she like, she, like she listens. Yeah, exactly. She <laughs> she came out of the 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 second one. He's like, yeah, I really like that. And it's it's it. I don't know if it's because I don't know the first one because I wasn't paying attention at all or I haven't seen it or whatever. But I really like this uh, without really knowing much about the world. Yeah, I, so, I mean, I've seen other people say in reviews like, oh, you don't need to have seen the first one in order to enjoy this one. Mm-hmm. I think it's possible. Yeah, uh, I just and I, I talked to a couple of people uh, who saw this before I did who who said exactly the same thing to me in person. I, I just, I don't know. There's, there's so many things about the first one that I know this movie references uh, when I'm watching it that I feel rewarded by, by having that association from the first film. Um, so I, I, I don't, I don't think, I don't think I would uh, necessarily love it if I had some of those loose ends from the before times going into this. Well, uh, I, 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 don't, I mean, do you think it's loose ends or do you think it's really just you can appreciate it more if you know the backstory? Like, you know, hearing the recordings of the uh, the Voight-Kampf of Rachel, like you're like, oh, that's that thing. I remember that thing because we watched it in the other one. Yeah, all, but also 
um, there would be some questions about Harrison Ford and why he's there and what he's really bringing to the table. <laughs> yeah, this movie could exist entirely without Harrison Ford. I will be I will be very honest and say that uh, there is a definite bump that occurs when when Harrison Ford appears. Not because I dislike Harrison Ford, uh, but he 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 kind of has uh, an I'm an old man Harrison Ford who doesn't have any acting range, but I'm going to show up and uh, uh, kind of poke fun at all the things that uh, people that are fans uh, like from the first things uh, in a in a in a fun entertaining way um, that he has brought to bear in Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull and uh, to bear in uh, the Force Awakens and again to bear almost exactly the same uh, in, in in this one Blade Runner twenty forty nine um, so it's it's nice to see him on his like greatest hits tour I guess but uh, he, <laughs> I feel like he did pretty well in this movie he 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 broadened his his normal scope of performance a little bit I thought. He he reads a lot like the the grumpy uh, Han Solo that we met uh, not a little too bit, long but, ago. You know, he, I I feel like there there there's a couple of scenes where he gets a little deeper than that in this movie. I mean, there are, uh, but I would say that they're few and far between, and that he he is mostly used for some comedic effect, and then also uh, as someone who is imperiled um, at the end, and it just seems very uh undeckered like from our <laughs> what do you mean undeckered like he was a, a shaky retiree with a drinking problem in the first movie yeah but he he spent the whole movie getting his butt kicked by replicants yeah uh, he doesn't he doesn't really do much of anything like in that last lim- limo scene um he's just sort of we cut back to him sort of drowning and then we cut back to the really interesting fight that's happening and then we cut back to him just going oh taking another breath he was handcuffed to the floor and you know that that scene Mm -hmm. um i was watching it and i was uh, i i as i was watching the scene with the fighting and the slowly sinking thing and the it's it's, uh, the ticking clock is he gonna drown or whatever um i knew what was gonna happen and it took three times longer than it needed to but it's (laughs) i felt like it was on par with the pace of the rest of the movie so maybe maybe that's why it took so long because I mean it cut back and forth between the fight and the drowning like six times, and then oh no, is Ryan Gosling down for the count while she swims back to the sinking thing? Oh, he just popped up. He's gonna he's gonna fight now. And oh no, she's got the upper. Oh, he's got the she's got the upper hand. Oh, he, oh, oh, oh. all right, he wins. Okay, yes. let's. I get it, but um, you know they, they they created enough dramatic tension with the world and the cinematography and just the way it was shot that. Uh, it was it was not like insufferable, but it didn't like most of this movie didn't need to be this long. But yeah, um, you know, th- that's one of the reasons I feel like this is sort of like a better version of the first movie, because part of why it is so long is it really just draws out those moments where you're having these characters have deep internal realizations. And that's unnecessary if you have a shorthand from a previous movie about the way replicants maybe kind of potentially view themselves with regards to their humanity but in this one it sort of stands on its own because ryan gosling is really sort of kind of discovering this idea of what it could potentially mean if he is as valuable as a human being uh it's not like a like a thing in the world around him up until stuff starts to unfold in front of him yeah and i i well let's just get to the overall pacing like you that said and and say that uh i i also I found that this movie seems longer than maybe it ought to be, but at the same time, 
I don't really have a list of things that I would bring to the table for uh, like cut suggestions. Um, I, I I don't have anything that I necessarily want to excise. Uh, well, I don't want to excise anything out of it, but I could tell you yeah. how to cut it down. What was the other movie where I said you just take like three seconds <laughs> yeah, off of every you, shot? Uh, I can't remember what it was. Yeah, yeah you're just like let's let's shave uh, a couple just shave frames. every shot down yeah. a little bit, and you'll be fine, uh, and the movie will still read exactly the same. Like you could make a version of this movie that's like an hour and fifty five minutes, but it wouldn't it wouldn't feel the same. But there are there is some of those well languid uh scenes that uh, i like like when the spinner is just like hovering over the the desolate world that exists uh in front of us like i mm-hmm. i i really do enjoy some of those lingering shots like they don't really bring anything to the table in terms of their character development but yeah it lets you understand the 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 world that these characters live in mm-hmm. uh particularly i'm thinking of when uh he's taking his spinner uh from you really got to stop saying that word it's just, it's what it's called. It's just like, just call it the flying okay, car. Okay, when he takes his flying car, when he takes his flying Peugeot um, <laughs> from, which I, I thought was hilarious, by the way. When he takes mm-hmm. his flying Peugeot from uh, Los Angeles down to the uh, San Diego uh, district, uh, the, the Los Angeles uh, Waste Processing Municipal District uh, down there, which I, I laughed at like openly in the movie theater because I, I just couldn't even keep that in. It was so funny to me. Um, sorry, San Diego. Uh, but, uh, you... isn't, isn't San, hasn't San Diego always kind of been LA's dump? Yes. Yes. No, not, uh, not really. And... I love San Diego. Sorry, San Diego. Well, I know. I, I like San Diego too. Um, but, uh, there's, uh, you got that place with the lobster rolls and the really awful <laughs> service. Uh, I think it describes more than one place, but uh, they had they had uh, uh, a piece that ran in like the what is it the the Union Tribune or whatever that they have in in San Diego, and it was like they interviewed the mayor and they're like oh all the people objecting to uh, the characterization and how it it damages uh, San Diego's pride, and it's just like oh you guys you shouldn't have t- taken that so seriously, <laughs> but uh, anyway when he's on that ride from. Uh, l- l- the heart of Los Angeles along the seawall and we see like uh, what appears to be the Sulaco um, uh, hovering in the air uh, as-, as he makes his way to, to San Diego and uh, we see all the, the disgusting broken down uh, buildings that exist there uh, y- you you understand more about it than I think uh, you did in the first film because the first film feels a lot smaller in comparison um, we certainly cover no, a lot more geography in this one. Yeah, but that's, I mean, that that is the one thing that this movie really borrows from the first movie is allowing you to take in the world and the production design and stuff and get a feeling for it. But then this movie also has the benefit of, of putting a coherent story together on top of that. So it it, uh, it works in, in, in both regards, thankfully. Yeah. And, and, and of course, character development. Uh, but yeah, the characters do stuff here and they have feelings. <laughs> yeah. And there's complicated questions that you can ask that are that are of a somewhat metaphysical nature <laughs> uh yeah complicated questions like uh mommy how are replicants born <laughs> well uh, when a when a when a i keep calling to call them robots but they're not robots because they're organic mm-hmm. uh but when a, when a replicant uh loves another replicant a lot well or a replicant loves a human because one thing that's not clearly defined in this film is the status of Harrison Ford's character, Deckard. Um, I swear I read an interview where Ridley Scott was literally saying, you're absolutely a replicant. Yeah, and Harrison Ford says, I'm absolutely not, I'm human. Um, they, they've been feuding about that. 
for a long time. Uh, and this movie... It, does, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. He should be human. <sighs> okay. So the, okay, do, do you have any anything to say before I ask you questions about this whole this whole thing here? Well, I have a lot of to say, but uh, l- yeah, l- let me let me say the things first. Uh, Go so say, say the things. This movie doesn't clear up exactly his status. Uh, it does put forward two different kinds of things, uh, where we know that he has had uh, relations with Rachel and produced a child. We don't know if that means he is a human who, who had relations with Rachel and produced a child or a replicant who had relations with Rachel and produced a child. Either of those seem implausible because, uh, well, let's talk about the birds and the bees, shall we? Uh, replicants don't seem to have fertility in that regard. Otherwise, all the male replicants would be uh, able to copulate, let's say, with other female ladies. Um, and the lady replicants are, uh, infertile, of course, because that is how they are also designed. Uh, and, or, or though is Deckard, a, uh, super top secret, double secret probation replicant like Rachel that he doesn't know about specifically yeah. designed to kill the replicants, which is not even remotely explored. No. Oh, well, it's brought up by, uh. Uh, Jared Leto's character, uh, Neander Wallace, um, in the scene where uh, Harrison Ford and uh, Wallace are talking, and he he says something like, uh, "Oh, the uh, you know you were the key to unlocking her, and uh, you were put into the world to to come and meet her in these the special circumstances." Something <laughs> he was along the those key lines. Master, and she was the gatekeeper. Yeah, and uh, so he he basically says something along those lines, and then laughs at it as being ridiculous. Um, and you could interpret that as him acknowledging how ridiculous that scenario would be because there was no reason for the two of them to have ever crossed paths in the first film except for uh the specific case of uh roy and his his compatriots uh which is not something that tyrell had engineered so why would you have two fertile androids walking around that weren't ever supposed to come into contact with one another doesn't See, seem and, to make a lot of sense this gets back to the questions that we have from the first movie of what is the current status of production of the tyrell corporation are they still making people are they just doing is he just making like the one-off uh rachel because he's been shut down because of all of this other stuff going on like we have we we can't answer these questions and I think there's enough evidence that supports that we can't take Ridley Scott's word for a lot of things these days, too. So, yeah, no, I'm I'm certainly not taking Ridley Scott's words. Um, but the but this movie in particular, I think you could read it either way as him being human or replicant. I choose to believe that he is human, um, and I know that you believe that he is a replicant. No, uh, I, I I feel like the, this movie is trying to tell us he's a replicant. But if he is a replicant in the first movie, why was he okay? Also, if he's a double secret probation replicant. Uh, who's fancier than all of these other replicants, why was he getting his ass handed to him by all of the other replicants that he was trying to retire? He was decidedly uh, weaker than uh, the, the, the the folks he was he was tracking down and fighting. Yeah, well, you if you were trying to make a replicant that didn't know it was a replicant, you wouldn't make it super strong because then it would figure out it was a replicant. So you'd make it as strong as a human being. And th- these are arguments that have been had before. Yeah, and this, um, this is like when uh, there's a scene in here when you're like buying when you're buying a replicant where you're, it's like you're customizing a car or whatever. Like you can get the uh, you can get the undercoating or you can get the you know the super strong version or you can get the ones that have feelings. It's like, but did they make Deckard specifically to be like as po- as human as possible 
in every way, shape, or form with none of the benefits of being a replicant. Like, then why, why, why did, why did you make him if he has no benefits? Just, well, just to, to say like, okay, we can make something that's basically a human. Yeah. Well, that would be the argument that you would make if you were, if you were thinking along those lines, is because Tyrell in the first movie was obsessed with uh, creating a replicant that could essentially pass as a human being under all conditions. Uh, and he was quite proud of Rachel for progressing as far as she did in the Voight-Comp test uh, for but the number of questions At the same time, his business is built on creating replicants that are better in certain ways. Well, yes, but that's from a a, um, a business perspective. He he does have a interest in this because that's what Rachel's for. Um, that's not what he's going to make money off of. He's not making money off of Rachel. But if he can make a replicant that thinks it's human and can pass as human then he could make all of the replicants um, better by being able to be more human um, in more situations. See, but that's the same fuzzy motivation logic that we have in this movie. Like, why do Mm. you want the replicants to be able to just make more replicants on their own? Because, you know, there's this thing about, like, uh, in the new movie specifically, like, they they have the ability to to really control them. Like, they obey orders no matter what. Uh, So that's why replicants are legal again. It's like, well... If they're born uh, of their own accord, like, do they still have that ability? Like, do they still require somebody to tell them what to do? Or is that, like, inherent in what they are? Or are those ones then free to do as they please and disregard human orders? Like, we don't have an answer to that, which, if we don't have an answer to that, it makes everyone's motivation really dumb. Like, is Tyrell going to make these ones that pass as human and can have babies? And then all of a sudden he's like, well... I basically just open sourced my my replicant code, and now they're they're running all over the place, and I don't make any money, so I'm out of business now. Uh, you think you meant to say Wallace? No, I was talking about Zarell. Like, his, oh, his the original too. motivation for making Rachel. Yeah, um, I mean, it, it, they, they yeah. both have this. Like, if Tyrell succeeded and made a whole bunch of Rachel and Deckard replicants that can run around and have babies, like, how, how does that help him at all? Other than like, oh, look, I made a thing. Cool. I th- I think he really just was obsessed with. Uh, perfecting the process to the point where uh, they a replicant could be indistinguishable from a human being. Um, and the fact that he would have only produced uh, one or two um, is is probably a good sign of his his this being a vanity project, um, not necessarily. <laughs> it's a passionate project for him. Yeah, like this He's is getting this paid is... an exposure. Yeah, well, this is what he does on his eighty twenty time um, from, from from Google or whatever. Uh, but uh, Ra- Rachel is the Tyrell Corporation supercar, which then gets the the company uh, a lot of press, and then they sell their lower model cars. Yeah, it's consumers. all about it's all about a uh, Halo replicants. Um, so the, <laughs> the it, it, it is definitely a, a passion project for him. It's modeled on his own niece. Um, it is. Uh, if you and of course, if you believe this movie about her fertility, um, then it was something that Tyrell specifically engineered for her and did not put anywhere else. Um, that this was not something intended for necessarily any of the other models that were being produced or or would be produced, uh, and that it was data that was lost. Uh, that you know, it's like so. So it's, it's if you just believe that it's a passion project, all right, fine. And then you can move on to Wallace's motivations. Those make no sense, and I don't agree with this movie. Uh, having Wallace wanting to capture the child so that he could engineer them, and he says this in a weird monologue about how he's never going to be able to manufacture as many as are needed in order to colonize as many worlds as quickly as possible. Uh, but 
I would posit that creating a fully formed adult person that is ambulatory and programmed to uh, work from day one is substantially easier than replicants giving birth to babies, uh, which would mature at some rate over time. Uh, and while they are maturing, you are not producing any other ones, not to be indelicate about procreation, but um, it is definitely not a factory process. So I don't understand his motivation here for that. And also on top of that, I don't understand why he would want to enable it to occur without his specific authorization, because then he loses control over his product, uh, essentially, because he is the source for all replicants. Uh, and much in the same way as like Monsanto or uh, Conagra or something who engineer seeds, like they want you to go to them for the source. They want to uh, have you buy their product, so, which is why they believe in uh, engineered products that can't be uh, reproduced, that they own copyrights for uh, for things. So I don't know what he would benefit from this thing if anything he should want to quash it because it would be competing with his own protection uh his own protection racket over his production uh so i would if i if i were writing this i would have flipped the motivation to be destruction um and much in the same way that uh the police chief uh played by uh robin wright um wants to also destroy the baby because of the social ramifications he should want to destroy uh, the baby because well not baby uh the child uh because th that uh would impact his business in a negative way where people don't need to go through him in order to do the things that they need to do mm -hmm. uh i i i just don't understand his it, it it is something that was very evident when i was watching the film and thinking about it uh that took me out of it a little because it's like why do you want to do this jared leto it doesn't make any sense um Maybe yeah, if he just wanted yeah. the kid so he would have the tech and have control over it or, like, try and learn from it, that's one thing. But, yeah, the the idea that he wants the replicants to make other replicants for his colonization uh, purposes makes no sense. It's like uh, the, the laws of uh, supply and demand don't exist in the future. It's like we can't keep up with as many replicants as we want, so we'll just make replicants that can replicate. It's like say they're going to be supply constrained on a particular type of iPhone. If they were to just develop <laughs> iPhones that you could put two of them in a drawer and then the next day the new one would come out on its own, that would kind of kill Apple's business model. But at the same time, everyone would be like, hey, look, I got the new fancy uh, iPhone 10 and I didn't have to wait in line for one. I just put my 7 and my 6 in a drawer and then boom, look at that. And then you got an iPhone SE and then you got to wait for your <laughs> iPhone SE to grow <laughs> into a, a, a big, strong, tall iPhone <sighs> 10. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, 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 yeah, it doesn't make any sense. And um, like you're saying, it could have easily been explained uh, away in terms of control if he had just wanted to have possession of this technology uh, for future reference or use uh, and to keep it out of the hands of others. So not necessarily to to destroy, destroy, like in Robin Wright's case, but to uh, possess. But he has very specific plans that he says he wants to do in terms of using this technology in order to create more uh, replicants as, as he, as so that he can fulfill this crazy dream. If he had not said that stuff, then it would make more sense that he would want to control this. 
but he says it in a very weird scene where he uh, is confronting one of his angels. One of my angels has been born on this earth in this cruel world. And then uh, he slashes her across her lower abdomen and lets her bleed out and die. Uh, after saying that he needs every single replicant that he can get. So I don't understand that at all. It is extremely strange uh, and just seems uh, pointlessly brutal and cruel. Uh, it doesn't do anything to develop the character of Neander Wallace, um, who isn't really so much a character as a mustache twirling villain. Mm. Uh, so I, I don't care for him. I, I think so he's... We're, we're assuming one of his, his 10 uh, nest cams flying around the room. Uh, analyzed her uh, ovaries and, and found them to be non-functional before he he killed her. Is that is that right? No, I'm I, I'm assuming those cameras are just there so he can see what's happening, um, because they they seem to play up um, the cloudiness of his pupils. Mm. Uh, so it seems like he can't really see. Uh, now I, he would have known, of course, that it couldn't procreate because he made all of these and they can't do that and they don't have the technology i thought he was attempting to invent one that procreates and then discovered that he had failed yet again and was very frustrated and killed that failed attempt uh it's not what i read from that scene but it could have been um Mm. i i thought that uh love was just saying that uh there there was a new model to inspect or something and so he went to inspect it and then killed it um but uh that that scene is also very peculiar because it puts a lot of emphasis on the camera system um which is a uh, little module that gets attached to his neck by an assistant. So it's not something he can do himself. And it causes all of these cameras to fly around and look at stuff. And that is used a couple other times, but the module system is not used uh, again. And there are all those other modules in the box. It's like, oh, what's all this stuff do? I bet that's going to come into play. Nope. Uh, what do these cameras do? Are they are they going to... Nope, they don't do anything. Uh, so it's it was weird. It's a very odd scene. And Love, uh, during that scene, is crying. Um, wiping away tears from her eyes because she's so distressed by what she's seeing. But Love herself has no character arc that has to do with her rebelling against her master because of the the brutal tactics that he employs. Um, so there's a couple scenes where she cries because she doesn't want to do something, but uh, she she doesn't have a, a journey of her of her own, and it really doesn't relate to any of this stuff. If anything, she just gets flattened out as time goes on. Well, yeah, she's she's one of the ones that has to obey uh, think, uh, orders. Yeah, uh, which is a key part of the opening text crawl, is that mm. uh, the the new ones that he makes have to obey. Yeah, which also in this movie uh, they they explore with Ryan Gosling's character in the police, which I think again getting back to the failed subtlety of the first movie is what they were trying they were trying to have that same scene in the first movie and they just didn't do it very well like where he's talking to Robin Wright and uh, she says you have a problem with that and he said I I, I wasn't aware. Uh, I had a choice, and she said, uh, glad we're on the same page or whatever. Like in that first movie where uh, the the police chief was like, you got to do this and you can't say no. And he's like, I can't say no, huh? He's like, yep, that's the way it is. Like we don't have any uh, suspicion ahead of that scene that Deckard might be a replicant, that the reason he can't say no is because he's a replicant. In this movie, they set up that Ryan Gosling is a replicant very quickly. So in that scene, we know very specifically that the reason he can't say no is because he is a replicant. Even in spite of the text scroll, you've got all the other, you know, the other cops who like really hate him or they're kind of shouting at him or that the video call after he fights with uh, Dave Batista and he's got his like messed up ear and she goes like, I'm not paying to fix that. And he's like, yeah, whatever. It's fine. Uh, the, it, we we can tell through action and the opening crawl that he is a replicant, and then that scene works better for us. 
Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Uh, and I do like having him be a replicant and have it very clearly spelled out uh, because it makes him more interesting. Uh, it's not something that he's fighting with in addition to all of the other burdens that he has. Um, in- instead, it makes it uh, something where we're watching his evolution as a character uh, to to him becoming a uh, a fully realized person um, by the end of this. Uh, yeah, where at he, the he's beginning, he's with not. The ideas of being a replicant and killing other replicants, and he's bummed out by that, but he's doing his job. And it's really the other people around him are going like, "No, really, you're special. You should be like breaking out of this mold." And the events that unfold in front of him that sort of push him that direction. But in the beginning, he's just like, he's bummed out that this is his gig, but like, he's okay with it being his day-to-day thing, sort of. Well, I mean, he has no option to be okay with it or not okay with it. Uh, and I, I do like this opening. Um, we we have we have the flying car, um, the flying <laughs> Peugeot. <you. laughs> yeah, and uh, it goes over all these solar farms, uh, which is an interesting departure from the first film, where there were the oil refineries that were... Uh, lighten up places mm-hmm. um, because again it's an energy source uh, and and means of production and very industrialized but a, a, a very different feeling and he goes over these gray overcast super gross dead fields um, until he arrives to uh, the farmland um, which is all just like plastic tents cover covering like grub vats um, and uh, basically like a, a Mars colony from the Martian yeah basically and he he lands there and uh uh Dave Batista's character um uh was it Sapper, Sapper Morton um he uh comes in from the field and uh Gosling goes into the little house uh, and it's interesting cuz it's like an airlock attached to an old-timey farmhouse um so there's there's a very technological entryway and then you get inside and it's it's very old-fashioned um and the uh the, there's there's a cast iron pot bubbling away on the stove uh, at first, when I heard the bubbling noise when we were when we were walking in, I was like, "Oh, it, I bet it's like one of those little uh, the the cylinder things that what's his face was cooking the the hard boiled eggs in, um, Sebastian." But uh, it wasn't. <laughs> you mean just a glass cylinder full of water? Yeah, yeah, I, that's what it was in the first one. Uh, but it, it, instead, it's a cast iron pot and uh, it's, stuff's bubbling away. And Batista comes in uh, and they have their little chit chat, uh, where uh, Gosling, you know, says that he knows that. He is this this one uh, replicant, and you know that he escaped uh, from the colonies and came back here, uh, and that he needs to take him in. Um, and or he hope uh, Dave Bautista challenges him and says, uh, "You, you want to? You think you're going to take me in?" And, and he's like, "I'd like to." Um, and uh, then, by the way, can he, I ask you a question about these yes. replicants? Because yes. in the opening crawl, it says uh, these fancy new ones are developed with open-ended lifespans, which is another one of the things we talked about in the in the with the first movie about if they made one that lived as long as a real human. But what what to you does open-ended lifespan mean? Does that mean human lifespan? Does that mean they're uh, immortal unless otherwise killed? It that's a good question. Because I don't, I don't, I don't know, and the movie didn't answer, and we certainly weren't seeing any replicants that have been running for generations or anything. I mean, because Dave Batista is old, he's got gray hair, he's got wrinkles and stuff. We don't really know how old he is. And then there's also the idea that uh, basically he was around when Rachel was there because he talked about you know having witnessed a miracle or whatever. So presumably that's the the birth of the 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 real replicant. So he's been around for a while, uh, still just like regular human lifespan, but he is getting old. Even in spite of being giant buff dude still that's going to smash your head into a wall a bunch of times. 
But uh, I still and, have no and sense Frisia, of... it was also from that era as well. Uh, which one? What? Who? Frasia, the, the, the lady without the eye. Oh, right. Yeah. So totally. Yeah. Uh, so, and, and they, they looked like they were getting old, but, uh, yeah, I still have no concept of how long an open-ended lifespan replicant lives. Yeah. Right. And we also, uh, uh, if you are to believe that Deckard is a replicant, then you would of course notice that maybe harrison ford looks a little older than he did before so there is an aging process that seems to be going on an aging process usually indicates uh that at some point somebody is going to kick the bucket um because that's what happens things start to break down over time uh so instead of having their very sharp fizzling out uh Mm -hmm. like they did in the first one they might have a more human uh, decaying process to them. Yeah, um, I just mean if you if you're building one that's extra strong like Batista, does he live longer? Yeah, Cause, it's, cause it's he's, he's stronger. He's built. He's yeah, built like a tank. Although, yeah, if we take Roy as our example from the first one, uh, candle burns twice as right, half as long. Blah blah blah. Yeah, and you know, it, it could be a thing of Tyrell was just saying that or something. Um, we we don't necessarily know, but uh, it, it certainly seems plausible that. Um they they might either have comparable lifespans comparable to humans or slightly less because of their strength or uh longer if they don't exert themselves in certain ways since they might not wear and tear the same way a human body does it's not really known and not explored um it's basically they just they they built them as best they could and they kind of just went like i don't know this one will probably last for a while we don't know uh, so as far as open-ended, I take that to mean none of these have died of natural causes, um, would be my assumption anyway. None, that, of, none of them since the creation of the open-ended lifespan one have died of natural causes. Right, exactly. Uh, I, I don't think any of them have, have reached the end of their, 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 their lifespan um, and killed over into you know a, a vat of grubs or anything. Mm. Um, and Batista doesn't seem at all concerned with that being a possibility for himself. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's just my takeaway is we don't know from this movie one way or the other, but we just know that nobody's died, um, of, of any obvious means. The only person who has died, um, from, uh, something was, was Rachel, uh, when they discover her remains in the, the dead tree that was propped up. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting story i like where they're going i like how it sort of expands on the storyline in the universe from the first one but this is right right here is the point where the writer had two paths they could go down they could go down the path that is very referential to the first movie and uses rachel and deckard and all kinds of other fun references or they could go down the path that has nothing to do with that because it didn't need to be rachel uh that had the baby that was the special one it didn't need to be deckard that impregnated that replicant and uh, we we didn't we didn't need to have the whole like obfuscated records searching through crystal balls from satellites that had audio recordings of the things we could have just you know had any other sort of like procedural cop kind of tracking down things from generations ago sort of story. I yeah we don't we don't need those things um, but it's certainly what ties it directly to the first film so I feel those were probably non-negotiable I mean, the idea from the studio the standpoint. The idea of the evolving Nexus model of Replicant could have just been like, we kept making them better and better, and all of a sudden, whoops, we accidentally made one that could have a baby, uh, and then we're trying to cover that up. Like, they could have gotten there a different way, is all I'm saying. 
I don't think that would be as as satisfying necessarily, but <laughs> then we wouldn't have gotten CG Rachel at the end. Uh, uh, I'm going to be perfectly honest since you just brought her up. Um, I did not find that weird. Um, it didn't bother me as I've seen some other CG recreations of people. Uh, oh, you, you enjoyed yeah. CG Rachel. I, I mean, enjoy is a strong word. Uh, I, you, you I, thought I, you thought she she worked and or sold. Yes, I thought I thought that it worked for the amount of screen time they gave her and the very limited um, uh, involvement in the picture. <laughs> yes, if, they uh, they they played to their strengths and had her do very little aside from walk and then stare at uh, Deckard. Yeah, uh, you'll notice most of her dialogue is over the shoulder, um, the, it, where she she's mostly obscured uh, because of the the very favorable lighting conditions. Uh, but she she is. Um, interesting in that regard. And again, uh, highlights something else that's interesting in that they chose uh, to have Harrison Ford's character be the one that lives instead of having the two of them live um, or to have Rachel live and Harrison Ford's character die. Um, I don't know if that's just because of Sean, uh, Sean Young uh, and, and maybe not wanting um, to involve her fully or something. But I mean, she was involved in this and apparently like sat on set for when they were doing those scenes. Mm. Um, Did she do the voice? I don't know. I think I'm assuming so. Um, but, uh, but there, there was an interview where she was like, you know, it's kind of weird. It's like, I don't even know what my rights are for like objecting to the use of this, but, uh, my, my, <laughs> my likeness from this film, but I mean, uh, it's, it's so close to the recreation that, it may as well have been like uh, f- just like footage rotoscoped out of the first movie. Like they probably could have framed this in the same way and just like used that scene where she was, w- comes walking out of the shadows in Tyrell's place and just like comped it in here. But um, I, yeah, agree, well, I, I agree she looked good. The one thing I was going to say didn't look uh, super perfect is like she kind of wells up with tears a little bit. And for, for some reason, the tears and like the, the, the water didn't read yeah. properly to me. Tears are hard. Um, CG tears in the CG rain. Uh, so there's, uh, and there's also uh, the 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 thing with uh, there was a flashback scene, very brief, of her walking towards Deckard. Um, right. That was that was straight reuse of the footage, wasn't it? No. Was it not? slow motion? Well, I it, I mean, you can slow down film. Uh, I don't think it was from the first movie. It it was not. It, did not seem to be it didn't look um, like poop is what you're saying it wasn't grainy and gross weird yeah looking. It, it didn't have the characteristics of that lighting i felt like it was it was a modified yeah. clip from the first movie but i maybe we'll have to go back and compare yeah i, I think that was recreated to rachel um but uh but they did anyway they did a decent job again uh but you saw that first before you saw the the recreated uh replicant that appeared um and it's interesting of course, because it highlights uh, certain aspects of having control over creation in this regard, is that he can whip up um, Rachel uh, at a whim and uh, fill her with programming uh, to appeal to Deckard. And he doesn't have perfect refer- uh, records of her, of course, which is why the you know her eyes were green thing. Uh, and then, unfortunately, her... Uh, fatal retirement um in that in that scene but uh yeah, yeah he can't, again he, uh unnecessary i feel like he could have yeah. like wiped her c drive and then like put her to use somewhere else 
Yeah, well, I think that was specifically to traumatize uh, Deckard. Well, but he was already backing away, saying I, that's not Rachel. I know it's not her. Yeah, but he was just being exceptionally cruel because he can, and he knows that it would still traumatize him to know something something that was a facsimile to Rachel had just been killed in front of him. Um, and it, you do see Harrison Ford's character wince uh, facing away from camera uh, at this and shudder. So it seems like it did have some impact on him. Um, it, it, while it might not have been his Rachel, um, it, it was you know still hard to uh, witness something like Rachel being killed. But uh, anyway, that's that, it. Just goes back to that interesting point of they chose to have her be dead and have her remains in this box uh, and her skeleton uh, to to scan, and they are able to determine that uh, she had given birth, et cetera, et cetera. And they don't know that it's a replicant at first uh, when they're doing this autopsy. Uh, apparently, replicants have skeletons that are pretty much indistinguishable from a human being, except for serial numbers. Um, Why was the serial number like in what looked like one of the scalpel scars from the C-section, though? It looked like it was just near it, um, not in the scar. But uh, I don't know what the protocol is for placement of the serial numbers about the skeleton. It, it did seem like it was convenient that it happened to be specifically at that spot, but. Uh, maybe they're like every two inches apart. I don't know. Um, the uh, <laughs> I think it's like a car. It's like a VIN number. It's always on the collarbone or something. I don't. Well, then, then what if you lose the collarbone? Uh, th- so anyway, they they th- Ryan Gosling is able to determine that uh, that's there by by just I don't know intuiting it or using his super eyes to mm-hmm. see something in the screen <laughs> that hasn't been magnified yet. His, his super kind eyes. Uh, yeah. Uh, so he, he, he interprets what's going on and, and has them zoom in more, um, with a bunch of lenses. Uh, so, you know, this is your enhanced scene, I guess. And they get the serial number and go to Tyrell. Um, and I, I, I really, I'm sorry, not Tyrell, uh, to, to Wallace. And, uh, you fly past the Tyrell buildings and you see that they're inactive. And then the looming Wallace triple skyscraper thing, uh, that he, that he flies over to. And, uh, you get the weird desk guy, um, who talks about the blackout and stuff. And this is where we get that information that a blackout had occurred. Uh, and this is very convenient for the uh, purposes of this film, because Mm. it's one way to get rid of records that seem like they should have had. Uh, and it's also another way of resetting the world in certain parts so that it doesn't necessarily feel like it needed to continue directly from that. Like yeah, so it's, it's not like 30 years of technological innovation on top of the first Blade Runner. Right. So it doesn't need to look like they're using the CRTs from the first Blade Runner anywhere or anything yeah, like that. Right. It's not a, also, by blackout, we're assuming they're just using a colloquial term for like, uh, uh, what do you call it? The thing in the Matrix. The uh, the thing that erases all the, the robots. EMP. EMP. Yeah. yeah electromagnetic pulse. Uh, and in fact, there is uh, there were three uh, short films and i use the term film generously uh that were created uh for ad uh, promotional purposes for this um they're online and i watched two of them uh w- one of them was live action and involved jared leto and it was awful i turned it off before the end because i couldn't even <laughs> i couldn't make it through a short film um but uh, it was just people in a room talking uh and and jared leto just doing his wallace shtick uh which i didn't appreciate so i was just like life's too short uh and then there was <laughs> 
another one, which was the the one by Watanabe, the the anime one, um, which I had heard good things about prior to this, and I watched it, and it describes the events of the blackout, uh, and is certainly uh, more visually impressive than people sitting in a room talking to one another with Jared Leto. But uh, the uh, the thing that happens is that there is a EMP that goes off, and they also blow up the magnetically protected backups that are inside of basically just like a giant storage warehouse. Um, and and is it an accident or is it like uh, it's on purpose? An attack. Yeah, it's a, it's an attack on purpose by the replicants uh, because they figure if they destroy all the records, then they can finally be free because then nobody will be able to track them down if they get rid of the records. Mm. Uh, and so that's that's their their plan. Uh, you in that the jet short. record, everyone goes back to zero. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so really, uh, wait, is Ryan Gosling Tyler Durden? So Ryan Gosling no. is the way Harrison Ford imagines himself to be. Uh, okay. I mean, I guess that makes sense. He's a replicant, but yeah. um, he's got the yeah. he's got the short blonde hair. He basically looks like Tyler Durden. I mean, everybody wishes they could be Ryan Gosling, but uh, so they they have what about Brad Pitt. You think Brad Pitt wishes he could be Ryan Gosling? I retract my everyone statement. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so anyway, they they have they have uh, the, the events that unfold inside of uh, this described as like, oh, this is what the blackout was in the short film, and then they they reference a blackout. They don't say what the scope is, but obviously it was enough to damage all of the data backups they had. So it must have been pretty bad um, because everything is computers so you'd have something uh but uh he he says they still have some some things some some fragments and uh uh this is where love is love's interest is triggered when she's in the middle of doing some sort of replicant sale by via via hologram in her office Uh, and she gets up and uh, says she wants to continue the call later goes down meets uh ryan gosling and they introduce themselves to one another and uh, he says oh he named you you must be very special um because ryan gosling as we've determined at the course of this film so far uh has no name he just has a serial number he is he is not a human uh and not treated as such by the people that employ his services and uh love takes him to the old 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 super archives which are apparently held on the other side of the vault uh where they keep the floating nexus replicants in a box um I have to say, one of the nice things about uh, Wallace's building is that every room provides the opportunity for very interested, unmotivated lighting. Uh, because yeah, dope looking. It, yeah, no, but that's what I mean. It's a good thing, like because there he is an eccentric uh, person who who has a technological background who lives in the future. He can have whatever lighting scheme he wants. He doesn't just need Philip Hugh light bulbs. Like he can have <laughs> giant rotating blades of light that move through staircases uh, in a way that seems unsafe by OSHA standards. Uh, and they can uh, walk through there down to the the really weird vault. Uh, they can go to Wallace's private den, which is upstairs inside of a, a water pool reflecting area um with rotating gold lights throughout i mean it's just all kinds of wacky like amazing stuff that doesn't need to make any sense because it's not reality um it's so removed from it there are no windows inside of uh the the wallace office complex except for i think when they go to those initial archives when they're like looking at i don't know the the cue card box things but um there's like one window on the side but the rest of the time the, the whole place is blocked off Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also appreciate it. It felt like sort of a uh, a subtle nod to the 
the economics of the world, the way that not everything is lit all the time. It's only kind of like lit above your head and following you around, which if you have the tech to do is a very smart thing to do, but it also is like kind of a, like a rolling blackout preserving energy kind of thing. Well, except for I'm sure all the sensors that are firing off in order to do it. Uh, it's infrared. It, it uses very low yeah, power. Okay. I'm sure it, it, it turns, it, it has a dot projector and it's very, uh, it's, it's very <laughs> energy efficient comparatively. Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's just a power move um, to show his sophistication and and to just be kind of no, for like, sure. I would totally do all this stuff too because yeah. it's it's <laughs> it's just awesome looking. It's like the people who make those super futuristic, creepy, weird houses, like the Ex Machina house, and then like you know just add like seventy years of technology development to it. Yeah, and it also seems like an extension of uh, the eccentricities of Tyrell's office um, from the beginning, uh, uh, from the opening of the the first film. Um, the the lower level peons didn't have a, the nice lighting and stuff, but upstairs in his his penthouse on the top of the pyramid, um, you know, you had the, the big window polarizers and the gold light everywhere, uh, and and the little sideways blue lights and stuff that came on when he he polarized the the, the windows. Uh, so there's just all kinds of interesting stuff that that even Tyrell had, and that's sort of referenced here. Of course, the gold light and uh, the the very specific lighting schemes that they can achieve. At least um, you got rid of all of the uh, the fog machines and the, uh, the cigarette smoke for you. Yes, that is definitely one of the more interesting aspects of this is that they didn't feel like they needed to ape that. Um, and I can't say enough good stuff about the cinematography uh, here from Roger Deakins. I love everything Roger Deakins does, and he did good stuff. Um, and this this office space certainly provided a, a playground for him to experiment in. Yeah, it's good. It's it's good. It's it's peak Deakins, is what it is. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Peakins. Mm, sounds like a British version of Deakins. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, so, uh, oh, and we we missed unfortunately uh, the the scene of. Ryan Gosling's home life after he's getting cleaned up after uh, his expedition initially. Yeah. His home uh, life is amusing on almost every level because he's got uh-huh. his holographic girlfriend who's attached to the ceiling until he buys her a present. He's got his holographic steak that's projected over his like microwavable meal. Uh, he's He's got his uh, Deckard-ish type apartment that's got, you know, some some slightly more plain tiles, but he's got that same sort of weird shelf thing going on in his kitchen that's very small he's got like one chair and one table and uh and a murphy bed and a murphy bed and he just kind of stares just stares out the window uh but it's like you know the, it's it's exactly what you would expect of a replicant that is treated as a like third class citizen in the world and is only there to serve and he's basically berated by everyone in every place he goes as he's walking down hallways and there's graffiti on the the door of his apartment because people don't like him uh, mm-hmm. but then, uh, he just, he just sits in his little apartment and talks to his hologram girlfriend. Yeah. I mean, this, this is really the only refuge that he has. And really the, the only thing that he can pour a- anything into that doesn't have to specifically relate to work, uh, that doesn't specifically have to relate to the purpose that he was designed and built for. This is his only outlet for that and his only protected space for it, because even out in the real world, he has no solace or protection from the people around him and can't integrate with society. So it just drives him into this, this sheltered, uh, secluded place uh, where he can pretend that he has what he thinks a relationship would be like uh, with this holographic product designed by the Wallace Corporation. Um, I, I really liked the way, it, like, you know, talk about his uh, his 
inability to interact with society. Like when he's at that like outdoor food court, like harfing down food, and uh, what's her name has the uh, the the prostitutes go like try and you know learn what he knows, and basically his entire role in that scene is just to like stare confused at people. Uh, Ryan Gosling is very good at that. Yeah, he's just, <laughs> he just has that look on his face, just like. Wait, why are you talking to me? What are you doing here? I can't even like what what's what's this is not go go away. Why why are you why are you standing next to me staring at me like that? Yeah, this is the third Ryan Gosling movie we've talked about this year. Uh we we talked about La La Land, we talked about Drive, and we talked about uh, uh Blade Runner 2049. La La Land of course we saw in theaters and t- Blade Runner 2049 we saw in theaters, but Drive of course we saw much later. Um, in Drive, he has a lot of these blank stares, uh, and they're they're very reminiscent of that. Uh, he he's certainly not that character. Um, he's a little more brooding in Drive, but he's very similar here. He's just sort of like sad and quiet and befuddled a bit. Yeah, and uh, his his hologram. What I like about the introduction of the holographic wife is that we don't even know that she's a hologram at first because we hear the voice and. Initially, I had assumed that this was just a computer program uh, very similar to other certain voice-activated assistants that you might have uh, around your property that are capable of interacting with you, and also not dissimilar to uh, Spike Jones's Her. Um, in fact, I think there is a scene later on that is very much a reference to Her. But uh, they, have, uh, they have this slow reveal as he moves through the apartment and talks about uh, the food uh, that he's taken care of himself basically at this point uh even though it seems to have already been on and uh the drinks in which case he pours two drinks but he's drinking them both himself um <laughs> and then the the hologram finally comes on with the the ceiling thing um which is i don't know kind of like uh the those lights that are inside of a dentist's office where they have that big arm that's attached to stuff yeah like it, it moves around uh, on the ceiling in order to project uh this hologram of her we don't know how the hologram technology of this movie world works, but it's something that they didn't have in the first film. So it it is a new thing that they're adding and it enables them to have this interesting character of joy um, and to also further abstract what it means to be human, because while a replicant and a a human might not be that dissimilar on some levels, uh, they're both organic packages. Uh, One is just engineered and the other is not, which is human. Um, And then you have this hologram and it's like, well, she's very obviously uh, a mechanical creation of this company um, and exists as basically just data uh, inside of a system and can be conjured up and dismissed at a whim. Uh, mm-hmm. She, it, it, what, what about her makes her more than the sum of her parts? Um, and I would argue that this, this film goes on to show that she's more than just the product uh, that they depict her to be um, that, with her involvement with with Ryan Gosling and her programming wanting to please him she uh isn't just uh the product itself on a very basic level she has uh she might be programmed to care about him but she seemingly uh is willing to put herself on the line in ways that you might not anticipate or expect uh so it it becomes a another interesting lens to look at this movie through because she's not a replicant. She's not uh, something that's nearly human, except for a couple of cases. She's very unhuman-like at all. Yeah. Uh, but she's a she's a personal, localized AI who has memories and uh, tailors themselves to you specifically. Yeah, and you certainly see that with her outfit changes that occur in this first scene uh, as she's trying to figure out what would please his moods. Uh, and then uh, she he has the present for her for her birthday. And she's like, oh, it's my 
birthday. He's like, uh, was it birthday or anniversary? Anniversary. He's like, is anniversary. No. And he's and and she's like, oh my anniversary. She's like, is it our anniversary? And he's like, no. Let's just say it is. And they they open up the box and it's an emanator, which is not something that rolls off the tongue super easy. So I don't know why they called it an emanator, but it's basically the the portable holographic unit uh for her uh m- much in the same way as uh star trek voyager uh gave the holographic doctor uh, yes, a little much in emitter the same way yes much in the same way <laughs> all, all the classic star uh, uh, star trek stories uh but she uh is capable of materializing with this device without the need of the overhead dentist office equipment stuff that she has built into the place so she can for the first time experience the world outside of their apartment yeah i actually really like the scene where they go up to the roof and she's like out in the rain and the ai is learning how to have the appearance of reacting to water because yeah, it's, like, she... it's like going through her initially and then she just like the, the drops start forming on her hand and then hair and everything yeah because she can't interact of course with the physical world she's not that kind of a hologram uh she's just something that's a three-dimensional light field produced somehow we don't we don't really understand how it works because also most of the time he has the emanator in his pocket and it's like okay so it's obviously not like a projector um but uh we she she is able to exist and uh she you see the texture maps of the droplets that where they're she's basically trying to map on uh, uh droplets to conform with where she thinks the rain is hitting her um, and, uh, it, it's interesting to watch her adapt to that and, and turn into this, uh, person who is wet when she obviously isn't and has no, no capability of being that way. And it's a very, um, touching scene when they get start to kiss, but right then he gets that message and then it's just, it she pauses reminds and those giant interface pops up around her head. Yeah. It reminds you that she is not um someone that he can have that kind of relationship with that, that she is uh a very sophisticated siri or whatever like she's not not capable of uh being a person who says oh i gotta stop talking while i get this message or something she's got to just literally halt everything and just be like no here's your here's your call coming in um and and that's what gets us to the scene where he goes to the station uh which sends him off to the tyrell corporation later on uh but uh but i wanted to reference that because when he is inside of the hallway walking with love uh and his emanator goes off uh presumably because the uh because joy is like buzzing him to like talk or something Mm. um then then he, he meets it uh then she, she uh love can i of course identify the, the sound and say oh I'm, I'm glad you're uh enjoying our product uh and they go down to the vault and she opens the door in a way that leads you to suspect she is not human um and they they go to the boxes uh of of stored memories now i have a question about storing crystals uh and saying that only fragments are accessible because if there was an electromagnetic uh disruption then how would that disrupt disrupt uh, optical media? Uh, maybe whatever writes the optical media crashed. It wouldn't. Sure, let's go with that. Um, so they they have maybe uh, them- maybe the uh that particular tray of optical media was being carried around by a robotic stewardess type thing. And then the EMP hit and it dropped all of the uh, the crystals and a bunch of them broke, but that one didn't break. Oh no, my memories. Um, <laughs> my memories are all over the floor. It's like I broke my pearl necklace and now they're rolling uh, away. 
Yeah, it's oh no, not another Batman Gotham Alley murder. Yeah, can, um, we, no. we, can we dial up Southern Bill Micah to do the voice because I didn't do a very good job on that one. Uh, no, I think he's waiting patiently for his iPhone 10. Uh, but uh, yeah, by the so way, they, we got to wrap this up before midnight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think there's gonna be a problem with that. Uh, so they they have uh, uh, an interesting interchange with uh, love and uh, with with uh, K, where they're talking about uh, the Voigtkampf that they just witnessed, which was a recording of uh, Rachel's eye, uh, basically from the first one. Because as we saw in the first one, they just kind of record their eye for whatever reason in order to gauge the responses, um, and they they talk they sort of speculate as to what state she was in uh in response to him and whether or not she she liked the person who she was talking to uh and and it's nice it's a humanizing moment between the two that could be construed as flirting if not for their eventual adversarial relationship but uh yeah, he's talking about how you can tell rachel likes deckard in there and then i forget doesn't she say something like she's kind of flirts with him and he just kind of like makes a face and then walks away yeah it's very nice uh and they, they, he's, he's he's not he's not picking up what love is putting down uh and they they, they dismiss <laughs> themselves from this uh and uh he is going he to sh- go he should have just like nodded his head and said like want a toothpick and then ha- hands her one that was like stored over his ear <laughs> that would be nice uh so he's gonna go further his investigations with the 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 trip to the orphanage but first he does the the dna um I don't, I don't know how to describe it. Um, he, he's looking at like, what were those tapes called? Mimeo, whatever. When you go to the library and they oh, had those uh, machines, microfiche, microfiche. So he, he was, he was there with the microfiche uh, of everyone's DNA in Los Angeles, uh, <laughs> scrubbing through it well, with, with, uh, with joy. And she is holographically hovering around and looking through him and sticking her head through his head. Uh, all kinds of fun stuff that seems totally normal. Um, and, uh, they're, they're talking about how special, uh, that that he is and and things um and uh oh how he didn't disclose to robin wright when she drunkenly came over to the apartment uh in a scene that i neglected to remember it's hard to talk about this four days after i saw the movie yeah me too (laughs) Uh, i mean all of these things are they're 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 character moments and bumps along the way but really uh like none of this matters until we get to like the 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 date on the horse and then the the memory of the horse and then yeah. the orphanage which is tied to the memory of the horse and then meeting meeting the bubble girl yeah because he went back up to sapper morton's place and had uh got the date off the tree and burned the place down and when he's talking to madam uh when robin wright shows up at his apartment uh and uh they're chit-chatting um she he recounts one of his memories for her and it happens to be a memory that he had we saw a glimpse of when he looked at the 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 date on the tree um but he doesn't reveal the date um which is interesting and we of course know that as the audience and joy notices it too uh but robin wright's character in here is also interesting because we explore some of the dynamic that exists between them and what she thinks of replicants because she toys with the idea <laughs> of just basically ordering him to have sex with her because she can interesting choice of words there by the way yeah well because he is a toy basically for her Mm -hmm. like she she can say whatever she wants to she can make him do anything that she desires uh because he's not a person she doesn't need to treat him as such which is interesting when you consider the exploitative uh relationships uh that 
uh, men in power often have over other people. Um, and, and you see that here with uh, Robin Wright, able to exert her her position of power and authority in order to potentially get whatever she wanted. She she pulls back from that. Uh, she says, well, what happens if I have this last drink? And, uh, you know, she, she, she's trying to, to flirt uh, with someone that she knows she can just order into sex. Um, but then they eventually give up on it and leave. And then he goes to the, the microfiche room uh, and checks all the DNA that, that's ever existed and finds that there are two matches and compares them. Uh, and Joy is talking to him about how he didn't reveal the, the, the memory that he had discussed to Joy so many times on many occasions because uh, they've known each other for a while, obviously. Uh, but they, uh, but he says, you know, it wasn't important and, and stuff and it could have been anything. Uh, and they discover that this date uh, relates to a boy and a girl who have identical genes, but that can't be the case. So something must be false or fabricated. And he finds that uh, the, uh, was it the boy was deceased? Oh no, the woman was deceased, but the boy went to the orphanage um, and, and had Galatine syndrome or whatever. And so he flies off to the uh, Los Angeles Municipal Waste District, uh, San Diego, and uh, lands there by force um, as the pirates who seem to occupy the place um, have have fired uh, a very dramatic emp little arrow thing that no it's uh, a, it was a kite they, they they fired a dart that stuck to the side and then the kite went up in the clouds and got stuck by lightning yeah oh yeah that's right sorry that's and, pretty uh, pretty ingenious way to take down a flying car yeah it, it certainly worked um and, and there's a very dramatic moment of uh 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 joy flickering out um uh because she she's obviously not a person that would persist in those circumstances uh and the uh the car falls from the sky and there's apparently an emergency system that uh fires some sort of gas uh vent stuff at the bottom to try to keep it from crashing crashing but uh just makes it skid through a bunch of stuff in a way that seems uncomfortable uh and he's stuck there uh out of it and joy actually reboots first in a very glitchy way uh, and is trying to to come to terms with what's happening and wake him up, but she has no ability to touch him. Um, but all she can do is try to make noise and uh, get him to to get up. Mm-hmm. Uh, eventually, all the pirates show up, though. Yeah, he's being attacked by pirates, and then all of a sudden, all the pirates start getting shot and blown up from like a drone flying way up in the air, which is uh, controlled by Love, uh, who is protecting him while he is on his mission because. Again, this is where we get into fuzzy logic because uh, you know Jared Leto wants uh, the 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 kid and uh, thinks that letting Ryan Gosling do his job of tracking down the kid is the fastest way to the kid. I guess like he's really yeah. ambitious; he wants the kid, but at the same time, he's too lazy to do his own legwork, so he just kind of follows him around. I mean, this could be a decision by love. Uh, we don't necessarily see him ordering love to do this. Uh, it could just be that love wants to see uh if he can lead her to somewhere uh but that's the thing what you, I, you you can't hurry love <laughs> you just have to wait they, they, thank you dan uh no but th- what i what <laughs> i love I'm about proud this to be a contributing member of this podcast thank you <laughs> dan present uh for the podcast confirmed uh but the the uh, the interesting thing about the scene is not the blowing up stuff, but uh, when we cut to love and she's got those uh, weird shades on, those are those are super cool. And then she's getting her nails done with holographic 
uh cartoon characters that are dancing around. <laughs> mm-hmm. I love I, I just love that. She's just so uh detached but seems to have some sort of air of whimsy about her as as the as a replicant. She still seems to care about having holographic cartoon nails. <laughs> Uh, while she's murdering a bunch of people it uh it felt like the um ghost of christmas future scenes from scrooge where everyone's dressed in all of their like funky future clothes with like the weird makeup faces and stuff and it's like is this what the future is like people are just gonna have like really strange fashion and uh makeup sense just because they can yeah i I mean i guess but uh i thought it was cool i like that scene um and of course i love the caustics in her office but uh so she blows up all the stuff and then mutters under her breath you know do your job uh and uh he he slinks off to the orphanage after this encounter uh after ordering the the drone that detaches from his top of his Peugeot to watch the Peugeot uh and he goes to the orphanage inside it's like uh have you ever heard of the author uh Pablo Babchicalupi no <laughs> probably not no um, I don't think so yeah, I, I hope I'm pronouncing his name right but uh he he does he does a bunch of stuff that's like post apocalyptic uh united states stuff uh and and it features uh children in peril and one of them is a novel where children basically just excavate stuff for a a cruel master uh and clean the equipment and disassemble it uh for him um and it reminded me of that as you're as you're walking through this orphanage uh where that's what their responsibility is and unfortunately uh the guy running the orphanage um who is 100 percent evil um miscalculates in thinking that Ryan Gosling is evil. Um, I don't know why he would do that, but he, but he's like, yeah, so, you know, take whichever one you want. Uh, and, uh, Ryan Gosling's like, yeah, no, um, I'm in here for information on the stuff about any sales or any sales you have off the books, et cetera, from this time period. And, uh, he's like, uh, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he beats the crap out of him. And, uh, then he's like, oh, uh, yeah, I got a book. And so they, he takes him off to, the place and as we're walking over there uh they pass through this furnace area which looks exactly like the furnace area from his his memory that he had uh uh, dragged up earlier for robin wright uh except all the furnaces are off uh so he he pauses and hesitates but he follows uh the dude up and they they go through the books and find that that whole entire year has been ripped out of his his ledger uh he leaves in a panic uh, and that leaves uh, Ryan Gosling, and he goes down to the furnace and picks through and finds the wooden horse that had been hidden uh, from from his memory. So how could that be real? Uh, because they don't really ever use real memories. So because he's like, what the f? He goes uh, back to Los Angeles uh, in a way that seems like it should have been harder, but they just cut right back to him being in Los Angeles. <laughs> and, uh, he is confronted by the, 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 the ladies of the night sent, sent, sent after him by Frisia, um, who, uh, recognize him as uh, two of them recognize him as a blade runner and ski daddle and Mackenzie Phillips, um, who, uh, is, is sticking with it. Uh, it tries to push on further than that. And, uh, I recognized her initially, but I wasn't sure what from, and it drove me nuts the entire time I was watching this movie. Uh, but she she was she was in my favorite era, uh, movie, uh, episode of Black Mirror, um, and that was a, 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 a what was it San uh, San Junipero. That's it. Uh, it. She she was in that, and I was like, ah, that's where I know her from. Um, so she 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 plays the character who is uh, I would say evocative of of Pris um, from the first film. 
uh, certainly in her. <laughs> because she has pink hair? Well, also, she's uh, a sex worker. Uh, and uh, But they, they in her costuming and design, they, they kind of made her look like Pris. Um, uh, or pr- Pris-like, I should say. But they, 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 they have their little exchange, and she doesn't you know get anywhere with that. Uh, and she hears the, the chimes go off because of the situation. And, uh, and she's like, oh, you don't like real girls, <laughs> which is pretty sad. And then he, he goes back to his apartment and they talk about the horse and stuff. Uh, and, you know, he, he's confronted with the things and he doesn't know what to do. Uh, and it's like, well, in, enjoy reasons like, well, you know, you got to figure out like where memories come from. And so he goes and he finds whoever the expert is on making memories. Yeah, did and he just like. Did they hit the yellow pages or something and Google that or did uh, or did somebody I can't remember if somebody gave him the reference of like oh they're all made by and th- this is our subcontractor scene like the the guy with the eyeballs from the first movie who is not really an employee but kind of works for the the replicant makers and she even says as much she says you know uh, I'm a contractor he tried to buy me out but I take my freedom where I can get it even because which is like a joke because she lives in a bubble because she has mm-hmm. she has no immunities she's uh she's she's yeah she's bubble boy. Although we don't know if she really doesn't have any immunities, um, we don't. But, we don't know if she does or doesn't. Yeah, that's, well, that's what I just said. Could be a cover. Couldn't. Could be real. Literally the words that I used. But um, no, you so... said it in a different way. <laughs> Didn't make sense. You're the first Blade Runner. You weren't clear enough. <laughs> okay. Uh, so he goes and he visits her, and uh, they they talk about uh, how he has a memory and like whether or not she could tell whether or not it's real. And what I like about this is she's like, "Oh, you mind if I work while you do that?" And we see her using her device that kind of looks like two camera lenses with some buttons on them. <laughs> it's like six um, follow focuses glued together. It's really interesting. I, I, I liked looking at that. Um, and she's working on that birthday cake uh, and then building up the birthday cake scene. And there's sort of like a rewind, you know, playback kind of feeling to it as she's toggling different settings. And like shuttle when, controller on it. Yeah, it's really it's really interesting the way that she's doing this sort of 3D editing basically uh of this memory that she's creating for someone's birthday and it's timed pretty well with the talk that she's giving to him about memories and why she does what she does uh because he he of course asks like why why do you give them memories and she's like oh uh, i you know i just want them to have something happy to hold on to and like they they deserve something for the lives that they live the hard lives that they leave uh live and um then she's like you know uh you know i could probably check your memory thing or whatever and apparently they have a machine uh that seems the kind of i don't know i don't know how to describe it there's like a funnel that goes down behind his head and turns on a vacuum noise <laughs> it's like the machine at the, the, the eye doctor's office that shoots the puff of air into your eyeball that you're supposed to like look into and focus on the little farmhouse yeah because he's also like looking into a viewer thing and stuff and she's looking to the viewer thing on her side and she can see what he sees in his mind apparently it's great that they don't Um, even bother to show us like what the interface of the machine is like because we've seen the dream like one and a half times now already we know what what's in there and we just see her reaction to it as she's like tearing up and getting sad presumably at this point because of the very emotional nature of the dream because she is a uh an emotional person because again she's she's creating these uh, memories for people who can't have memories, so she has to use her imagination and get as emotionally complex as possible. Uh, but you know, all, all she says is, "Yes, this happened to somebody," uh, and and then that comes back later for us because uh, what we get out of that is the ambiguity. Since he like freaks out and kicks a chair and runs away, we we he didn't sit, sit, stick around long enough to say 
Well, this is a real memory. Uh, is it my memory? Which would have been a question maybe I would have asked for some follow-up, but he's just assuming that since it is a not, since it is a real memory and they don't implant fake memories, that this must be his memory. Yes, because uh, she says that it would be illegal uh, to use someone's real memories in another person uh, or in a replicant, uh, that they have to use fabricated ones, uh, which... I don't know if that's a result of litigation that came up after Rachel or something, but uh, any, anyway, that that is a line that she says. Uh, so Which we is know weird that though, right because with Rachel, the whole idea of giving them memories was to help them establish a more human personality and fit in better. But really, that got them all into trouble. So what they're looking for is replicants that follow orders, and I guess they're looking for replicants to seem human, but they don't want them to be human to the point that they feel like they have free will yeah exactly and the but but this 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 scene here of course is also meant to lead us to believe that they're his memories that he is the real person who has them um but but it of course is not um which as we discover later on but uh but that 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 is what this ambiguity works in in favor of the storytelling of this film because <laughs> we get to revisit this moment later on they, uh, and I they, mean, like right then and there in my mind i was like uh you should ask a few more questions uh like i i wasn't into that moment enough to excuse him running off just from a storytelling standpoint i don't know about you but i i really was just like all right i get it you're pissed but like i, I i'm not fully sold on the idea that you would stand up and walk out after just that answer well he is processing something that he's not equipped to process. He's not up until this moment in the film. He knows that his place in life is that he's a designed entity that is created to follow and obey orders and that he has a very specific purpose. Uh, and now that purpose is challenged through the way that things have unfolded so far. Right. He that, said uh, the, when he was talking to Robin Wright, he said it would be weird to tell you a story about when I was a kid, if, if I was never really a kid, because replicants are born adults. But if it turns out that this memory is real and he was, in fact, a kid, basically in his mind now, he's trying to process the idea that he's basically a real boy that was enslaved into being a Blade Runner. Yes, exactly. Uh, he He is confused uh at the very least about how to handle the information that he's trying to uh process here he's received information that he is not who he thought he was um that he has um importance in a certain way to some people and also is a dangerous threat that he was told to kill and eliminate um by robin wright so naturally when he gets scooped up by the lapd and they go back to the station and he fails uh, there, this movie's version of the Voigtkampf, uh, which is the the uh, interlinked cells, uh, the, the baseline test. Yeah, which is actually baseline pretty cool. Test. I like it. Um, but before we leave this, and he he's emotionally compromised, and then goes back and fails his test. Um, I, I maybe like one thing I could have used is just uh, Bubble Girl, like standing up for just like a moment, like as Ryan Gosling is freaking out and losing his mind and going like, hey, 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 calm down. Let's talk a little bit. Because like, why did she not even have the inclination to try and go like, it's not your memory. It's somebody's memory. She doesn't have to come right out and be like, yeah, that's my memory. She could just be like, calm down, calm down. It's okay. Like, this is a real memory, but it's not necessarily like yours. She knows it's not his. She could be like, oh, I see through my eyepiece machine here thing that this isn't yours. So don't, don't lose your mind. But like, 
she doesn't try to do anything as as far as we can tell in in the way this is shot. Yeah, well, that might have outed her or something. I can excuse that. Mm. I feel like she should like as 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 a as a character with deep uh human slash replicant empathy. She could have like tried to calm him a little bit. But again, that might have exposed her. So I can understand why she wouldn't. Mm, but her whole her whole deal is lying. No, 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 Dan. No, her whole deal is lying. <laughs> come up with a yes. lie that works. She can come up with a nice, vivid lie to calm him down. <sighs> Perhaps, but uh, if he checks out that lie or something, then it might have unraveled. And she is there in that bubble, so she can't really do that. But well, it, uh, would it unravel quicker than saying like, "Oh yeah, you're a real boy that you were just born." Like, have fun with that information. Well, she doesn't say that to him. Yeah, I know, but that's he, basically the the feeling she is leaving him with. But that's not her fault. Because she, she could have just watched the dream and been like, it's really sad. I don't know who programmed that, but yeah, it's not real. If she wanted to shut the whole thing down, I'm saying. I suppose. I mean, I don't know. I'm not as hung up on this. Uh, I think it's more integral in the next scene when he's falling apart um, and he can't pass his baseline test. Uh, and Robin Wright uh, says that he's nowhere near the baseline and that they have to, they, the protocol is for him to be retired uh but he uh she is going to give him 48 hours um to pull himself together and be able to pass the baseline test and if he can't do that then he will be retired yeah um, he's having a hard time because con- he had to kill a kid right and uh w- w- which is something that he says because he's lying because he didn't kill anybody uh and uh he he's he's fabricating this this story that he's telling her that he found and terminated the child and that he is trying to deal with that, uh, and that it was just someone who was a a a worker, a working stiff, basically. And I mean, that is what he is as a working stiff, in a manner of speaking. But uh, he didn't kill himself, uh, so he leaves there, and he's trying to figure out what to do uh, going forwards. He goes back to his apartment, and in walks Mackenzie Phillips again, and uh, she was summoned by Mackenzie Joy Davis, by the way. Oh, sorry, Mackenzie Davis. Why do I just keep saying Mackenzie Phillips? I feel like that's somebody else. Um, so Mackenzie Davis walks in, and she uh, had been summoned by Joy, and Joy wants to do the scene from her, uh, where, uh, as you remember from the movie Her, uh, Scarlett uh, Johansson's character uh, was uh, having someone come over as a surrogate for them to have uh, sexual relations, because she was not a material being, and that uh, she would talk, and it would be from this person... Uh, but it wasn't her, uh, and then they would go through the motions of intercourse. Uh, but uh, Joaquin Phoenix freaked out, and they didn't follow through. Now, this is the movie that says, but what if they didn't? <laughs> uh, because they have this holographic sex scene where uh, Joy superimposes herself on uh, top of Mackenzie Davis and synchronizes with her. Um, and synchronize loosely uh, because there there are parts where they come apart and they're not exactly the same and they're not wearing the same stuff, etc. Uh, and uh, you get sort of a very long scene of them um, coming to uh, the part where they're taking off their clothes. And uh, there's a lot of uh, TNA in this movie, I have to say, um, which uh, was not expecting so much. Uh, I know there was some in the first movie, but uh, there's more than this one. That's for sure. Is there really and like so that they, much more? Uh, I think so. I mean, the, I mean in this scene, it's all shot uh, relatively tight lens, so. Yeah, but boobs still. Um, and then there's, uh, of course, the joy that 
is a holographic projection that's like 500 stories tall. That one, yeah. boobs. Um, and Wait, there, the, all there, the statues in Vegas. There were no boobs. There, there weren't any in this scene, were there? There were boobs here. Um, so anyway, they they because they she takes off her top. Remember? Yeah. No, I think um, uh, it's when she's leaving. Anyway, not the point. Um, uh, yeah. And so anyway, there's there's stuff. And so and they, Ryan Gosling they, they, is standing there making his face again. Yeah, and then they cut from that to Mackenzie Davis waking up in the bed in the morning. Uh, all the lights are off. Uh, Gosling is not in the bed. He, he she gets up, uh, and she's uh, rummaging through things and puts a, a tracker inside of. Uh, Ryan Gosling's coat. And I'm just saying it's a tracker because that's the movie language of someone putting a tracker inside somebody's coat. <laughs> and it turned out to be a tracker. Uh, but, but you know, she doesn't say like, ah, oh, this is my tracking device. Ah, ah, ah. And she puts it in there. But uh, if you had ever seen a movie before, you're like, that is a tracker. Uh, so she she does all that and then Joy activates, uh, apparently having missed the part where she put a tracker in his cloak uh, and uh, says, hey, so you're done. You can go now. Um, and she Joy, says, I'm done with you, which is yes, delightful. <laughs> I, I like I like how uh, brusque she is with 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 her and and dismiss dismisses her from the place, and so Mackenzie Davis leaves and uh, Ryan Gosling ha- had showered and he's he's back out there and uh, they have a weird scene where they're talking about what they're going to do now and and stuff and how he's a real boy and how his name's going to be Joe. <laughs> I, I I thought was interesting. Not a lot of not a lot of protagonists named Joe these days. Mm-hmm. Joe's not. What, what's such a bad thing about having a protagonist named Joe? That's all I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, no bias. But uh, so they 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 do their thing, and they're like, um, you know, I I want to go with you. Uh, like Joy Joy wants to go with him, but you're gonna have to download me onto the emanator and then destroy the backup on the uh, console here in the apartment. Otherwise, they're gonna be able to exploit it and track you. Right, because uh, the, the company that created her is the one that's after him. I forget how they know this at this point, but. Uh... Basically, they they'll just download her memories and figure out where he is and hack hack in and stuff, and it would yeah. be bad. Well, I mean, he he had guessed that they were after him because uh the the aerial stuff seemed like it was something that was beyond the scope of anyone else, uh, and the way that they had interacted at the, at the office made him suspicious, probably. And also, on top of all of that, uh, the break in that occurred at the LAPD where the bones were stolen. Yes, right. Um, and the only people who would know about that would be, of course, uh, the people that he had talked to at Wallace. <laughs> I uh, again, replicants being stronger than humans is kind of funny. She's like, "Oh yeah, here's my here's my little piece of paper that says I can take these bones," and just like karate chops him in the back of the neck, and then he just dies. Oh man, it was brutal too. He's like, there's like a croaking noise, and his eyes are filling up with blood. Yeah, she because... just basically broke his neck with a little karate chop. Yeah. That's pretty severe. Um, and, you know, he, he was kind of a jerk when they were doing their scans earlier. I think so. they named her Love, like, kind of ironically. Like, you were a really big guy. You nicknamed him Tiny. Oh, yeah. Dan, there is no way that they named these characters Love and Joy um, <laughs> by accident. <laughs> well. Deep symbolism. But, uh, uh, they really should have spelled Joy's name differently. Oh. With an I? Don't, you don't like the don't I? Don't Google it. Please don't Google it. I'm not. It wasn't. I hadn't <clears throat> Moving been. on. No, so he's I'm dubious. Okay. He's running, so he's running they, away at things. Yeah, he's he's running away because he intuits people are after him. Um, LAPD and also uh, the the others. Um, so he takes uh, he breaks the antenna on the emanator and uh, destroys the console and heads off with her to a bazaar, not unlike <laughs> the bazaar that Deckard went to in the first one to find the snake scale. Uh, people by the um, way not great advice for most people like if if you uh hate being tracked by apple and google don't just open your phone and like break the antenna off that's not really going to be very helpful 
No. Also, it does nothing about uh, their ability to track him or his car, uh, which is LAPD issued, um, because obviously <laughs> Robin Wright can track it. So mm-hmm. they, they still have LoJack in the future. Yeah. And, you so know, he so goes much to... of this could have been avoided uh, from the uh, the replicant tracking side if he would just like have had more than one jacket. I mean, it was a cool jacket. Don't get me wrong, but he only had the one. A, a jacket like that, you you don't ever wear another one like that. That is. Peak jacket. Did you like the way it zipped up to his eyeballs? Uh, I I liked I liked the the collar. The collar was bananas. Mm-hmm. It was it was puffy, mm-hmm. very puffy. Um, I don't think you could get away with that in current LA climates. But uh, yeah, it was so interesting. Was but in the future, you could wear it. stuff. Is this another uh, Matrix? We scorched the sky kind of thing to destroy the robots. Well, they just pollution. The open crawl. The opening crawl addresses that there was like total ecosystem failure of like everything, and Las Vegas is a wasteland from a dirty bomb, uh, as we find out in the scene that occurs in the bazaar, and like basically everything seems like it's gone to crap. Yeah, um, I have, I have, yeah. I have questions about the Vegas and the the bazaar with the wood thing. Mm-hmm. So they he goes to the bazaar and he's talking to the dude there, and the the guy reveals that you know this is real wood and it's been irradiated, um, and the only thing that could give it that much uh, radioactive juice would be from like a dirty bomb. And he, he guesses that it would have been the dirty bomb that went off in, in Vegas, which is why Vegas is deserted. Uh, and that is what sends him off to go to Vegas and explore the place to try to find signs of life. Um, uh, apparently it's slightly less radioactive than it once was. Uh, and he deploys his little drone guy, to go scope out the place and finds uh, some swarming heat signal stuff, lands and walks over to it, and it's a bunch of bees. Somebody is collecting bees, uh, making honey. So obviously there's somebody alive there. Um, bees don't just do that themselves with those kinds of hives and the honey collection systems. Uh, so he he uh, sits off trying to find somebody and stumbles into a casino uh, where there is a tripwire uh, that he avoids, uh, but will be referenced later. Uh, and he wanders through in a way that would make anyone suspicious and then comes across Harrison Ford and Harrison Ford uh it doesn't doesn't want to answer his questions. Yeah. Um and he he goes toppling backwards off of a banister and there's gunfire and stuff and Ryan Gosling trips over a tripwire and lands in uh this theater and Harrison Ford turns on the holographic lights in the theater <laughs> uh which activate the 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 Vegas floor show of uh the the Elvis hologram and also uh some something like the Rockettes I don't know a broken Elvis uh, hologram too so like the audio is glitching in and out too and it's really loud yes yes Yes. And also, I think Suspicious Minds was a little on the nose. Um, but uh, they, they have that. Uh, and then they shoot at each other. And well, sorry, uh, Gosling's not shooting at him, but he's shooting at Gosling. And Go- uh, Gosling tr- basically tries to exhaust Harrison Ford is his, his way of dealing with him until Harrison Ford is 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 done and he's heavy breathing. And then he, <laughs> he stops and he says that it's because he likes the song that's playing. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. uh it's round about this uh the this part of the movie where I have a question about uh Harrison Ford and Rachel. So the wood is is radioactive and is traced back to Las Vegas. And then later up in his his fancy penthouse apartment we see more little carved pieces of wood. And presumably he made this one and gave it to Rachel or the kid or whatever uh as like a birthday present or like a, you know, congratulations. You're, you're, congratulations you're born congratulations you're my kid 
Um, but th- it's uh, w- did Rachel live in Vegas with him and then went off to the farm to hide, or did they? Because they didn't, they couldn't have lived on the farm and then he left to go hide in Las Vegas because then his wood wouldn't have been radioactive. And it, uh-huh. I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't mean it like that. So they they, uh-huh. they lived in Vegas, and then when she got <laughs> pregnant, she's like, "Oh, I got to go hide in the." forest or something and then she died there well not hide in the forest but they they seem to have a plan where they would separate in part ways and so that way he would not be able to lead anyone to the child um that was that was his part to play as he says Mm -hmm. um and my interpretation of it is that they had been hiding in vegas and she left from vegas to go uh, see that doctor and the connection that they had was apparently through freesia um or Frasia, or whatever you want to say her name. Uh, that that was that was how they had uh, progressed because she knew Sapper Morton and she knew Rachel and Harrison Ford, and so they they use her to get to him, and then uh, they have her go through her pregnancy and give birth to the child, but dies in childbirth. Then they hide the kid, um, and Harrison Ford just has to hide in Vegas, and there's nowhere else for him to go. Um, now, I don't know why he never tried to integrate with any other part of society other than saying Vegas. Seems a little specific. Yeah, um, plus, but, plus uh, the, the, the idea that everything is abandoned and he's the only one in the city and he kind of like over years and decades built up all of this like junk that he collected into this one cool uh, I heart Vegas kind of penthouse thing that he's got going on led me to believe that he was hiding there and that wasn't their home or something. But clearly... It had to have been the case that they were both in Vegas. Maybe Vegas was abandoned back then and they were hiding there. And then they had to hide even further by separating. And she goes to the woods and he stays in Vegas. It's just, it, it's one of those things that didn't make any sense to me. Like, well, the horse is from Vegas, but the horse was probably with Rachel in the forest at some point. So how did it get there? And then when did he do the thing? When did they split? I, does, I don't know. I, I had these questions, well, I- not that they're particularly consequential. Yeah, though the way I thought about it is that they were definitely in Vegas, and then she left, and she went to was stay with Sapper Morton to have the, the kid, and they were never going to reunite. Um, is it because she, I don't she know couldn't why... keep working in Vegas as a cocktail waitress and blending in if she was pregnant? Yeah, it would have been very difficult for all the customers. I have a lot of questions. But uh, no, the, 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 the reason was that they didn't want the child to be in jeopardy, so their plan was to, to hide the kid. Um now, unfortunately, Rachel died. I don't think that was part of the initial plan. And because of that, uh, the kid apparently went to the orphanage. And this is something that Ryan Gosling challenges uh, Frisia on, because uh, why would she take that kid to that orphanage to hide the kid? Because that orphanage was not a good place. Um, seems weird. Uh, and how did the kid get from that orphanage to, of course, we find out later on, to be the kid who is inside of the bubble? Um how how did that connection occur? Uh, uh, that's not answered. And Ryan Gosling, of course, asks Frisia that, but she doesn't answer. Um, but uh, Harrison Ford had nothing to do with the planning part at that stage because he had already been out of the picture. Right. So yes. it's... Uh... Yeah. But it doesn't make any sense why he would stay there because if the plan was to never let anybody, you know, find the kid... 
than if anybody ever found this stupid wooden horse they'd be able to figure out that it was from Vegas and find him because uh, he's the only person living there. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I question that part of his planning. But uh, but anyway, uh, he stayed he stayed in Vegas uh, and he has apparently this this dog. Uh, I like when Ryan Gosling asks if the dog is real and he tells him to ask the dog. Uh, and when he pours the the booze out for the dog to drink off the floor. Mm-hmm. Um, the the dog does not do much of anything, but it, it's it's nice that Harrison Ford had something to keep him company. Yeah, it's it's just uh, in a post apocalyptic world where nothing matters, you just you know live fast, die young, or whatever. Let your dog drink whiskey off the floor. Yeah, there is a weird scene though where um, at the end of their their conversation, where Ryan Gosling is challenging him about his kid and stuff like that, where uh, Harrison Ford is basically like this, you know, we're we're done here, basically, and he wanders off. And then Ryan Gosling just hangs out in the apartment uh, and goes and plays Frank Sinatra on the the, the Sony disc player thing mm-hmm. that they have. I thought I thought the Elvis was cute, but the Frank Sinatra that was that was a Vegas performer too far. Um, but they 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 have that that little thing where he's laying down and stuff, and of course. Back in L.A. at the LAPD headquarters, love breaks in again because apparently the LAPD headquarters is held together with tape. Um, because I don't, <laughs> I don't know how you can have replicants walking in and out of this place nonstop. Well, I mean, she wasn't um, past a threat all of the security Maybe cameras. She just wanted to make a report or something. How how did they have her enter the building? Go to the the lab. Take all of the stuff. Oh, going to from the lab there. to get the bones. Yeah, that she shouldn't have had yeah. access to that. But like walking into Robin Wright's little office, that should have been probably permissible yeah yeah but there's security cameras everywhere how does she get away with all of this uh because um, she's super strong and like what are you gonna do i i mean i guess but robin wright seems to have a suspicion that it is her but not care enough to call anyone or scream for help <laughs> now naturally that means robin wright's gonna die yeah. no i like she... the uh the, the part where uh uh love is like I'm going to tell him, because uh, we never lie, because I'm going to tell him that uh, you attacked me first and I had to kill you. She should have just been like, well, there's literally video cameras everywhere. Yeah, well, uh, I, 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 don't, I, I don't get at that. Um, uh, I, I, and I do think it's interesting that she feels like she would have to lie to Wallace about how she had to kill him, uh, kill uh, her, to kill uh, to Robin Wright. Because... Uh, why would she need to do that? Because Wallace seems to not care about murdering people um, at any other point in this process. Maybe it's just uh, like uh, murdering humans is against the rules for replicants. And she would say, like, yeah, I murdered a human. He'd be like, what? You're not supposed to have that ability. What's going on here? She's keeping that one, like, in her back pocket, the ability to kill humans in case she ever needs to uh, kill Wallace. I suppose. Um, but anyway, she she crushes the glass in our alcoholic madam's hand and uh drops her to the floor and kills her um and then uh picks her head up off the ground and unceremoniously sticks it in front of the 3d scanner and drops her back on the desk <laughs> and it's the floor i like the rebound on that too See, um this uh if only she had an iphone 10 that, that would tell whether or not her eyes were open and she was looking directly at it yeah, this is not a good use of face ID. Yeah, um, it, apparently, it, they lost the technology in the blackout. She turned off, uh, what do they call it, attention detection or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably because she you know, was so busy, she didn't have time for that. Yeah. Uh, but they, she, she gets access to it, and she can quickly determine the location of uh, uh, Ryan Gosling's <laughs> she character. Sits down and she says, this is a Unix system, I know this. <laughs> she tracks down <laughs> Ryan Gosling's flying car. 
Yeah, it seems pretty complicated, actually. She's got like 10 monitors of various sizes and purposes uh, scattered around her desk. But anyway, she she determines where he is. uh, And uh, she goes off uh, with... We we see a swarm of flying cars head over there, three of them. um, And a very serious-looking drone detaches. More serious than the LAPD drone that we saw come off of uh, Ryan Gosling's Peugeot. Uh, This is the the drone that was saving his butt in San Diego, probably. It could have been. Um, although it doesn't seem to have the missiles. Uh, so anyway, it, it, they're, they're flying around and looking at stuff and, uh, they find the heat signatures or whatever of the penthouse and stuff. And they, they just go in guns a blazing and take them out. Uh, it's it seems a shame dangerous the, uh, if you're trying to capture them alive. Uh, were they actually, were they actually trying to capture, oh, they're trying to capture Harrison Ford alive, but, uh, yeah. yeah. No, I was just going to say, it's a shame that, uh, in the blackout, they, they lost all their copies of sneakers. Cause if I was. <laughs> a replicant i would just like leave the uh the temperature permanently at 98.6 degrees so i wouldn't show up on any, any heat signatures <sighs> well i mean i guess you could do that for the whole building but uh he, he didn't there, for whatever yeah, reason would at least give you a little bit of time to like oh no somebody's breaking into the front of the building i can sneak out the back yeah but they don't and so they they try to run to his his car that's stuck in another room but it blows up um oh, and ryan gosling from parts where harrison ford slams the door on him and ryan gosling just like jumps through the brick wall eh, it was a little fakey fakey i know but it was uh, good and... it's just like yeah i'm a replicant and i'm really strong i don't use it very often but like um i want to get out of this building too so we don't die so i'm just going to jump through the wall <laughs> well also he wants to protect this person who he assumes is his father uh and so he shields harrison ford from the blast uh, this of course incapacitates Ryan Gosling and makes him ep- absolutely basically useless when uh, the, the bad guys come in uh, with their sweet swooping motion of their car in through the window uh, they, they pile out of there with their, their little masks to protect them from all the, the harsh orange dust <laughs> and uh, they start you know corralling Harrison Ford Ryan Gosling pops up and uh, nails him with uh, some some gunshots mm-hmm. and then love comes up and beats crap out of him yeah um, with the by the and, way with the exception of the help of the the rockets that like when he's first incapacitated in San Diego getting out of his car I really like how quickly he dispatches all those people like they're all surrounding him and they're like aha we got you now and he's just like no I'm gonna kill like six of you really quickly and they're like oh crap he's a blade runner we should all run away yeah, well, not just a Blade Runner. He's a replicant. Yeah, that's uh, right. Blade Runner. Yeah. Well, and um, again, that's another thing from the first movie that I think they did better here. For me, it feels like all of the Blade Runners in this movie are replicants, and that's on purpose. Yeah. Well, I mean, what better way to take down uh, your your running blades? Yeah. What, what uh, better than, way to take down super yeah. strong replicants that are going to fight back? You don't want to lose people. You might as well lose these things. It don't matter. Yeah. Uh, and they. <sighs> She she makes quick work of Ryan Gosling because he's already damaged from the uh, fight that he had been in prior to this and also the explosion he was just in and running through what appeared to be mar- solid marble tile things, blocks, <laughs> when he went to the wall. But uh, So anyway... He's he's not he's not feeling so good. No bueno. Uh, and he's reaching for his, his emanator uh, uh, because that's Joy and it's the only copy of Joy and it's his wife and the, who, who he cares about deeply. Um, this is when love walks over uh, and says, I hope you enjoyed our product and then stomps on it with her shoe and just, and kills joy, the pleading joy. Uh, and it's very brutal. It's a really gut wrenching scene, mm. even though this is, this is a computer program. Um, but it's more than, more than that. It's an AI. Uh, it's, it's, it's an yeah. actual personality and intelligence. And I get that, that they did it to like, 
to have a wrap up to her storyline, but it was it didn't need to be there at all because she like pops out and she's like, "Leave him alone! Don't hurt my Joe!" And then uh, Lola was just like, "Yeah, okay, bye," and stomps on the thing. Um, but that I mean, we could have just like never seen Joy again, and it would have been fine. But the point of that scene was to drive home the fact that she wants to protect him. And she knows that she's obedient to technically the Wallace Corporation and that she could protect herself by not activating herself, um, that, that someone would eventually maybe find her or the dog would turn her on or something. But, uh, but she chooses not to do that. She wants to protect uh, Joe by trying to plead for his life, even though that might be in vain. Uh, and it might risk her own life um, in a manner of speaking. And she, she does, and she dies. Um, that shows a form of sacrifice that you would not uh, necessarily ascribe to uh, something like this. <laughs> Basically, uh, they but, were just trying to avoid the situation where Ryan Gosling, spoiler alert, at the end of the movie, dies on the stairs. Then Joy pops up and is like, oh, I had a great nap. How are you? Oh, my God, <laughs> what is happening? No, but also this sets up an important scene with Joy later on, which makes him reflect on his own purpose in life uh, himself. Not not this Joy, but uh, Joy the Advertisement. Um, uh, as we've seen witnessed in another part, there was a, another advertisement for Joy somewhere else. But uh, but but there was one later on in the film, yeah, and that is really the final. It was not practical. <laughs> People are so stupid. We address that now. There was a there was an interview with uh, who was even talking about that. Was it one of the production designers or something? Or uh, I think it was Denny uh, Villeneuve himself. But I don't know. Yeah, they were talking about how they built the uh, little catwalk that he walks along, and then filled the set with rain and projected the video footage onto the light to give bounce lighting that it was the color of this. Uh, giant joy character that he was talking to but the way it's sort of written and the way people interpret it is that this giant holographic character is also practical and that is not the case no uh and everyone's like oh my god this shot is all practical these guys are amazing and they're super hashtag movie magic cinematographers or whatever and it's like that's not no none of this is anyway where uh was it uh ian scythe that had the uh the article about how they projection maps the uh the footage on top of a uh geometry and then made the hologram with that yeah it was ian fails um w- i think uh, yeah v- uh, he's, he's had a lot of yeah yeah v- vfx blog uh he he's had a lot of good posts on the way that this movie was put together but sometimes the way that he puts the headlines together kind of reveals stuff about the movie so i don't want to retweet them um so i've been very selective about that but if you are interested i highly recommend you pursue uh what he has available because he's interviewed a lot of very interesting people about the process of making the film um including miniatures etc for the the cities uh which is which is always fun and they have uh but but in regards to that scene you're referring to uh like they they did stuff where they had uh shot the actress uh who plays joy um in her pink makeup uh, in her electric blue wig then they removed her eyes put cg match move in for the back facing uh portions of her skin so when you look through her you see what would be the other side of of the back of her arm, et cetera, through her torso and stuff. Like as if you were looking through a gummy bear. Um, <laughs> I, that's what they tried to do. Basically. It's like is, one is, of those uh, novelty, like uh, 15 pound gummy bears. Yeah. She, I mean, cause she's, you're supposed to see the other side of her through her because she's not solid. And so they did all that with CG and then they put that all together, put that onto giant displays that you'd see at like a, a concert. And then that was on the set with the, the fog 
they didn't use that in the final photography, of course, because that would be flat. Um, they <laughs> it they would be just stupid. yes, they they just used how that affected the lighting on Ryan Gosling, um, and they wrote it in, of course, the, the other rest of that that's in CG uh, with the cars and stuff flying through the background and the cityscape and stuff like that and all the other miscellaneous atmospheric elements. Uh, so it's it's not that's not that's not a it's not practical. But uh, so anyway, Moral they, the story they have practical effects are stupid. and CG is the best. No, it's not what I said. But uh, so no, they, he actually they have... he literally like two minutes ago published another article about the uh, the miniature work for the cities. Yeah, uh, well, he had one from the other day too. Uh, but they that's that's good that he's publishing more things. Uh, so they had uh, for some reason love doesn't like kill him, kill him. Um, which I don't know why. Uh, it seems a little incompetent. Uh, they they peel off out of there in their sweet cars, um, which are slicker. Um, very like Audi A seven esque, and they 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 leave there to go back from Vegas to to Wallace's place, uh, with their uh, incapacitated Harrison Ford, and uh, Ryan Gosling is just lying there. Now this is where the tracker comes into play because uh, they can find him and then take him to whatever the place is. They're they're in like the desert, and there's like a campfire and stuff, and then they like take him to whatever that underground vault was I don't, I don't understand it looked like a roman uh, he, bath or something i don't know what the hell was going on down there just some sort of like yeah. uh prison he gets hauled around a lot uh, as he is recovering um and we see mackenzie davis uh again um she is part of this group that is doing this as well as Frigia, uh who steps out of the shadows and she reveals what the real plan was uh because he assumes that he is the child and as an audience member, I will be perfectly honest and say that I assumed that he was a child. Um, I probably should have been more suspicious. Uh, probably should have given them more writing credit than that. But uh, they 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 very quickly say, "No, no, no! It was a girl. Um, it was not you. Uh, and you 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 just think it was you. Uh, but that's part of the plan to protect um, uh, the the one who is actually the kid because." All these other things, if they get triggered or whatever, then it'll protect yeah. the kid from actually being found. And this, this is the part where we talked section. about offline. Uh, both you and I had the same inappropriate thought when they were delivering this line uh, because there's a very bad edit in this where she's saying, like, no, you're not the kid. Uh, Deckard and Rachel had a daughter. And then, like, right, like, maybe half a second after she says daughter, it cuts over to Mackenzie, uh, what's your, who's it, uh, character yeah, standing yeah, back yeah. there. And we're like... Oh God, is she the daughter? Did he just have sex with the daughter? Is he also the the twin brother? Because like, there's still confusion as to whether or not like the twin thing was real or if that was a falsified record. And is is he the twin if he's not the the the, the daughter or the, the the kid or what's going on here? Yeah, they didn't want a Luke Leia situation. Yeah. Um, no, they, they. There's about 15 they ha- seconds in this movie where there's like a Luke <laughs> Leia had sex with each other kind of moment. <laughs> they they very quickly fix that. But yeah, I agree. I when they cut from her to that, I was just like, uh, are you saying that because the power of editing is that if someone is delivering dialogue and you cut to an image, it might be about that thing they're delivering dialogue <laughs> about. That's, that's how editing works. But uh, It's called juxtaposition. They, they, they misused their power in that instance because it wasn't her. Uh, it, the That was a misdirection again, I guess. But uh, it was in reality, he realizes that it was the, the person who was able to determine that it was a real memory. And uh, the, 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 the person who was suffering in silence behind their thing and able and wanted to make good memories for people who are uh you know not capable of like having their own lives and stuff 
uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So he, he pieces it together in little clips of the flashbacks to the previous scenes that we had seen. Um, and this uh, lets him process that he is not the special one. He's he's not the Harry Potter. Uh, uh, Harry Potter. He's not the, the the Luke Skywalker. He's he's just some guy um, who happens to be in a position to know who the special person is and want to protect them. Uh, so he's not the one. He's not Neo. He's 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 he's, he's anything but he's strong he's like just, Neo, though. Yeah, he's he's an average Joe, you could say. Um, and <laughs> he's not an average Joe. He's the only one that yeah. knows where the the, the real live daughter is, aside from Eyeball Lady. Yeah, that's true. Uh, it, but Eyeball Lady has a weird conversation here where she's like, ah, oh, the important thing is that one day we'll be able to have replicants who can reproduce and then we'll be free and I'm raising an army. And it's like, okay. Yeah, the, uh, the daughter is our All secret right. weapon that we will use to lead our army and say, look at us, we deserve things and rights too because we this is the one that was born by parents like uh first of all we have no idea how she actually plans to uh utilize or uh monetize her the 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 real daughter we have no idea how anyone would confirm that this person was actually born of two replicants not manufactured unless you know as a uh as a uh, as a real boy, she doesn't have any serial numbers on her bones or something. Like, I'm not sure what the difference would be. Uh, and then three, like, how are they going to build the army that then she is going to lead? Yeah, there's some dangling loose threads there with that one. Um, I, I'm i not satisfied with the, the lack of an explanation for how this plan would have worked out. Uh, there, there are some open-ended things about this, not the least of which is that Wallace is not involved at all at the end of the film, um, where they're certainly setting up the possibility, the window, for them to have a continuing story based on the elements of this film. I don't know if they're going to get that based on the domestic box office that they had, but uh, I'm optimistic, hopeful, that uh, it will continue to build interest and maybe uh, get enough budget to, to greenlight something else, although it probably will not have the budget that this movie had. Um, but they they have their their exchange of of things here where she's like yeah it's all part of my plan um for us to be able to be free by being able to have babies um and that that's how we're going to be real people because then no one can control you and this is where i said earlier that this is in direct opposition to the motivations behind uh our 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 villain behind wallace because he wants the stuff so he can make a bunch of replicants too it's just for some reason they'll obey him and be tis and stuff and do stuff for him and it'll be faster than building them i don't know it's i i buy her convoluted thing that doesn't make any sense more than i buy his convoluted thing that doesn't make any sense but they they both want this baby basically and uh frazier says that what they need to do is kill harrison ford because he's the only one who could trace them back to frazier who is connected to this resistance so that becomes an important motivating factor in what she wants to accomplish which is curious which is another uh, Matrix think... plot point, right? Like, they've captured Morpheus, and they're going to break him down eventually and make him talk? Yeah. Oh, sort of. Yeah. Uh, and so he uh, goes back to L.A. in his in his Peugeot, which for some reason wasn't destroyed or deactivated uh, by the incompetence of love that she exhibited for no <laughs> reason other than continuing the narrative structure. But uh, he lands somewhere, walks on a catwalk, uh, does a little turn on the catwalk. <laughs> Uh, and talks to Joy 
uh, who is the floating advertisement for Joy Products. Um, and uh, you see her enormous floating um, chest. Uh, I, I, it was a weird decision. I don't understand that. But they, they, they have their conversation where she's trying to appeal to him, and she calls him a Joe, um, as in uh, a, a, a terminology for some sort of client. Uh, and and this is something that's supposed to make you think, oh, well, were the feelings that the joy that we had seen earlier had, were they really real, or was she just trying to please him, and all she's really capable of doing is being what is essentially um, a a... a pleasure machine um like is is she was she ever more than that uh it, it so it's an interesting thing to think about and i think the film leaves it open-ended um he leaves that advertisement alone and continues walking on the, the catwalk uh and then goes off to do stuff later but uh meanwhile at uh at wallace um we're inside of the weird office that he has in the pool room mm-hmm. um and he's talking to harrison ford and he's got his floating cameras and he's like oh you know, I just want to do this stuff because reasons and things. And it's like, shut up, Jared Leto. I don't care. Uh, and uh, he, he, this is where he gives Harrison Ford the the whole spiel about like, oh, you were, uh, maybe you're the, the key that secretly unlocked the thing. And it's our, finally our way of understanding blah, 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 and whatever. And then he's like, uh, you know, tell me how to get to the child and stuff like that. And he's like, I have ways of making you talk on the off world colonies and stuff. Uh, and he tries Rachel and Rachel doesn't work. Um, because he has a replicant that looks exactly like Rachel. We already talked about the whole entire scene, so I don't feel like we need to dwell on it again. The only thing I want to ask uh, is, like, how did he know what her clothing looked like? I'm assuming there were other archives somewhere else. I guess else. there was that one photo at Harrison Ford's place that maybe they stole on their way out. Could have been, but, uh, I mean, it, it is as likely that they probably had more info than they were letting on when they showed him that fragment mm. earlier. Not like dinosaurs. Or that they were able to find more where, stuff. like, they could recreate him from the DNA, but, like, they had no idea that they had feathers because that's not in the DNA. Yeah, so uh, Ra- Rachel has, like, frog DNA. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, anyway, they, they build Rachel, too. And, uh, Does that mean Rachel, halfway through the movie, is going to learn how to reproduce on her own? No. <laughs> No, because she's dead. Because um, they very brutally murder her, uh, and then they're gonna take him to off-world colonies. Because he has ways of making him talk, and <laughs> that is probably the most cliche <laughs> moment in the entire film. And Ugh. I was just so angry that they would bother to write something so He's dumb. Like, there are rules and laws here. I can't keep my brain analyzation tools down on Earth because I obey all the rules down here. But off-world, uh, I can do so whatever dumb. I want. It's like, what are you talking about? You're a psycho down here. And you're doing whatever you want, so just, just yeah. do the thing. Just like every everything he does here is extra extra judicial, uh, judicial. Um, so I don't understand why he's, he's suddenly so like, oh, I have special tools <laughs> beyond the the ru- rules and laws of Earth. And it's like everything he's done is beyond the rules and laws of Earth. Whatever. Yeah. Uh, so Love he, should have just walked over and like cracked his skull open, and then one of his like flying nest cams should have like looked in and like read the electrical <laughs> signals off his brain. He uh, could have used that machine that they use for memory. Uh, stealing uh but uh so anyway they 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 have this thing where they're going to take him to the the port so that he can blast off to the space stuff but uh they're flying in the rain and uh there's three cars there's a limo and two other sedans uh basically and harrison ford is like where are we going and blah 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 and it's like and she says something weird like oh it's a you know you 
home and it's like why would it be home like i don't understand that but uh, so they they're flying towards uh lax apparently (laughs) and they uh get caught a little bit by uh the by by ryan gosling uh in his in his flying car uh he deploys the the drone thing as a ram to blow up one of the sedans uh, and then he uses uh, guns to take down the other flying sedan and also kill one of the two pilots uh, of the the limo uh, machine that they are in. Um, and this also damages the vehicle and they can't maintain altitude and they start descending uh, towards the water that's in sort of the, I don't know, moat that's by the seawall. Uh, where sort of like an overflow <laughs> cascades down every now and then. Um, so they, they, they crash there in the water. Uh, and they uh, try to get out of the the situation, but uh, Ryan Gosling is there to kill the other pilot uh, before he can take off again and to go after Love. And Love and Gosling go at it uh, in a very, very long, protracted fight scene that takes forever. (laughs) Yeah, and then you get the slowly sinking uh, limo ship boat thing that's being pulled in by the uh the current off this very steep concrete beach thing and then yeah yeah ticking clock blah 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 and then he pulls out harrison ford at the last possible minute he goes and harrison ford even says you should have let me die down there because they're gonna they're gonna find us and they're gonna torture me at some point you get all the info and he's like no no, you're just gonna lie about the fact that you died in there uh we're, we're faking your death by staging a scene where your body won't be found so we're very badly staging your death, but we're just going to like, when you go somewhere else, just don't tell people your name is Deckard. And then like, let's go, let's go see your daughter now. This is, this is, I have to say a dumb plan. Um, <laughs> let's because take my they didn't... police car that they've already tracked in the past and fly directly to your daughter and connect these dots for anyone who might be watching. Yes. And not only that, but anyone who uh, might be checking up on the daughter as part of the Wallace Corporation, or she might just be monitored passively by the Wallace Corporation uh, as, as a contractor, they might know that this meeting had occurred, um, even without the knowledge of the flying car tracking, etc. Um, if I get but, an email so, so every I, time a new device logs into my Gmail, like you might think that the Wallace Corporation gets some sort of notification when one of their memory creators gets a couple extra visits, especially from the police in a near short amount of time. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't get it. Uh, I, I don't agree necessarily that this was the way that they needed to go for the end of the film. I understand why it's emotionally satisfying to connect the daughter uh, with the, the father. Um, but it's not about that emotional connection because he leaves um the scene (laughs) goes inside and it becomes about uh us exploring uh the sacrifice that ryan gosling has made in order to reunite the 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 father and the daughter technically we don't see him necessarily die uh but by all accounts he seems to have died yeah we Um, thought he died earlier when he got like stabbed really badly in the side because he does he does bleed and like we know replicants do die yeah, and he he. Uh, there's one point where he sits down on the steps and opens up his coat, and you see all the blood pouring out of his abdomen onto his leg, etc. Uh, and he just starts to slowly lean back, and that's the end of the film. Uh, so you don't know if he necessarily croaked because, like, baby Harrison Ford walks out of the building, he's like, "Hey, get up," um, and uh, fixes him up or whatever. Yeah, because uh, when, but- uh, when he went back to Robin Wright and he got yelled at for visiting the uh, the memory lady, didn't she? Didn't she refer to the memory lady's place as an upgrade center? Yes, she did. So, uh, like, so- potentially in that little uh, mini mall plaza, there's a, there's a place that could fix him up. 
Well, I am assuming that you could construe memories to be an upgrade, or there could also be facilities there to handle upgrades uh, in a physical sense. I don't, I don't know necessarily. It's, it's not explained by the film, uh, but it's, it's, it seems incredibly likely that he's not dead. Uh, I, I, th- I just, especially if they go on to do another film, I, I feel like you're going to find a scene where he wakes up on the stairs and he's fine. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think they, they necessarily want to kill him, but I think they wanted to leave it in such a way that it is open, whether or not he's dead or alive. And that, that way he could have the, uh, the story point of sacrificing himself for the one who was the one, um, as he was not the mm-hmm. one. And in the next movie, but, he's going to put yeah. on a fake mustache and pretend to be married to Harrison Ford's daughter in order to protect her to take her off world or something, right? Yeah. Well, perhaps. Uh, I, I feel like if there is a if there is a third movie of the series, you have to show us the freaking off world colonies at some point. <laughs> Come on. Well, I mean, it's going to have to be about the replicant uprising that we've been leading up to, right? Uh, theoretically and there are more replicants off world than there are on own world so maybe they just need to do a reverse invasion um to, to take care of that or they need to go after wallace's off world headquarters because that, he, he seemingly has his center of power off world and just visits earth uh so either of those could be the case uh who knows um <laughs> interestingly <laughs> i like tm's suggestion he has to protect her from a shape-shifting liquid metal enemy <laughs> a, a nexus 1000 that's made out of liquid oh metal. boy oh boy uh, that's good <clears throat> this is dust off robert patrick uh but uh <laughs> what's he up to these days he's one of the leads yeah, on scorpion say, um, how, but... how much how much time they got left on scorpion mm-hmm. so moving on <laughs> uh moving on yeah yeah uh, so that's the end of this oh film oh my god um, we talked for so long well, this is a long movie, yeah, so there's a lot to get we've through. We've almost talked as long as the movie. We've talked longer than the first Blade Runner movie. Yeah, uh, I think we should probably wrap it up, um, just <laughs> out of out of mercy for our audience. Although I'm I'm pretty sure anybody could have taken a bathroom break at any point yeah. during this um, uh, because of the magic of podcasting. Uh, so th- th- <laughs> thank you for relieving your bladders. Yeah. Uh, and, but you know, like uh, probably as reflected in this podcast as in the movie, there's a lot of stuff that is interesting that you can talk about and you can experience like we talked about during the show that is not strictly about the plot or the story. It's really about the, I don't know, the, the, the characters and then the, the, the feelings and the, the, the things that people are dealing with along the way. It's not strictly like how to get from A to B to C, which is good. It's, it's an enjoyable thing. It's another thing about this movie that like, you know, I've been thinking about this. I, I don't want to bring this up as a tangent. I just finished Mindhunter as and it's another sort of one of those things where um, like it's almost useless to try and talk about it and describe what happens because you're missing like 75% of the experience because all of the other things, the visuals and the sound and everything in, in this movie are working so well that, yeah, we can talk about just like literally what happens, but that, that doesn't add up in the same way that like actually watching this movie does. So you should totally go watch the movie, especially in theaters if you still can. Yes. Mm. So are we, by your statement, are you assuming that people listen to this whole entire thing and then we're just like, oh, I don't know if I'm going to see the movie No, now. I just, you know, you get a book ended with a recommendation. All right. Yeah. Anyway, so the recommendation. They say, they say yeah, you state go. your thesis, you support your thesis, mm-hmm. and then you restate what you stated, and that's how you, you create a, a complete argument or something. Oh, okay. Say what you're going to say, say it, and then say what you said. That's... Stupid business things. Anyway. Say what you want to say. No, don't. (laughs) (laughs) 
Sorry, I can't do it. <laughs> but, <sighs> the, uh, so, the, yeah, I, I like this film. Um, in spite of all the negative things that I said in the course of this, uh, it's beautiful. It's absolutely stunning to look at. Uh, Roger Deakins did a masterful job. Uh, I love I love uh, Denis Villeneuve's uh, instincts in building this and making it. Um, he has a sense... He's a tremendous sense of atmosphere, uh, of how to make that atmosphere occur in a film, um, which is something that a lot of people don't. Uh, sometimes you can watch a lot of these action pictures and they can wind up being very sterile. Uh, I, I would reference some of the other reboots of 80s movies, like the RoboCop one or the uh, Total Recall reboot. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they can feel incredibly sterile and very Michael Bay, like just it needs some contrast and some color and some lights yeah. and stuff and some bang, bang, shoot them up. I think one of the biggest and victories that's not what you of this see movie is like, how did... Uh, how did any of the people who made this movie get enough control, creative control over it to do what they did? Like to make it two hours, 44 minutes to, to, to linger on these shots as long as they did to do what they did with the, the color and the sound and all this stuff. Like they, they got so much more creative control over this than like any of those other reboots did, which were all sort of hedged bets from the beginning. But uh, they really, they really let them go in this one. And they did exactly what they wanted to do by all accounts. And it, it turned out great. It's just a shame that, uh, Marketing was a little bit of a letdown, and uh, the the performance is thus far underwhelming. Yeah, I, I I feel bad for them on that regard because I feel like it should be a stronger performance uh, because of how good the movie is. But I, I can understand people's trepidation and wanting to go see the film because it's not immediately clear from the way they cut their trailers what is necessarily going to be happening in it. And the first film is a, more of a cult classic than it is. Uh, mandatory viewing experience you know it's not it's not star wars yeah. um in spite of harrison ford's involvement but uh the uh, the propulsive force to get people in there also might have been tamped down by the length of the film yeah it's possible uh, but uh I, I i i definitely think you're gonna see a lot more people watch this when it comes out on home video um uh just because it'll be more convenient for them and mercifully home video solutions for viewing movies have improved dramatically over the last few years so uh i hope people watch it on a nice big pretty screen uh nice big 75 inch lg oled screen that you have in your house which i'm sure all of you have I'll watch it in 4K i definitely HDR have 10 my, my new phone mm-hmm. yes <laughs> <laughs> yeah you know it, 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 make sure you maximize it so you get the notch in one side of the fi- film uh the entire time on your mm-hmm. iphone uh, 10 but uh so i i think that this is a very pretty film and beautiful and should be definitely enjoyed on those those grounds alone uh but uh i love all the character stuff uh that's in here it's more complicated and nuanced than you might expect and i like the the questions that it leaves lingering in your mind about uh humanity what it means to be human what it means to be a living person who deserves respect uh what machines around you in your life are like we we have relatively dumb simple stuff around us but now you're saying uh, i should stop cursing in my echo <laughs> or 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 siri uh but i don't uh, talk to w- siri anymore siri gets the cold shoulder oh sorry i guess it it's gonna miss out on celebrating its anniversary with you but uh so that that wraps that up and we can we can conclude the podcast now podcast concluded we're caught in a trap can't walk out because I love you.
Can't you see what you do?